Welcome to the Out of the Basement Podcast, a show where a group of friends get together and talk about a variety of geeky topics. Find out what shows we've been watching, find out what movies we've seen, find out what games we're playing. Come along and join us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Basement Podcast. My name is always Devin Terak, and today I'm joined by Paul Sanders. Hello. Patrick Ramsahoy. Hello. And Dwayne McKinnon. Hello. See, I even gave you time. Um, yep. No Pat. I'm impressed. No, I'm impressed. Uh, n- no other Patrick today because uh, he's in PEI and it's currently being hammered by a, a hurricane. And so he's lost power and internet. So he obviously will not be joining us. So it's just going to be the four of us, five of us, however many of us it is, four of us. That's I what think. I call a lack of dedication. Right <laughs> I know. I, I totally agree. Although I'm I'm now, that's being said by a guy who goes, oh, I, I feel tired after work and doesn't join us on live streams. So <laughs> I was sick that day to prepare. Okay. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah. fine. You have minor yeah. excuses. I, 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 I personally think a hurricane is an acceptable excuse to miss recording i mean it's not bad out of all the excuses that are available to people that's one that's not terrible it would be better if he wasn't able to post pictures of the aftermath (laughs) true but he does have i guess cell coverage just not internet although he must have some internet i'm currently on my cell phone so he has got lack of dedication yeah, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock that down to complete that lack of dedication because he actually could have joined us on his cell phone. Yep, he's done it before. Yeah. So. And he's done last it. Yeah, he, like last time, like last time when he was bitten by the the wasp. Right. Yeah. He was recording from his deck while drinking a beer, so you can't honestly say anything. Sorry. Yep. Not not that he's ever gonna listen to this because he doesn't listen to our own episodes, so he'll never no. hear us bad mouthing him. Anyway, well, why we don't we just edit this part out and just send it to him? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started with segment one, our weeks in the hobby. The only segment we really concentrate on anymore these days because we do it so rarely. Uh, let's start with Dwayne. What have you been up to? Uh, well, you got some big news, don't you? Yeah, I've got I've got a bit here here and there. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the big stuff till the end because I'll probably spend the most time talking about it. Um, so I'll start with comics. Um, went on a real Legion of Superheroes kick lately, and that um, I started with uh, the Mark Wade and Tom Payer run from around uh, 1994, I think it was. Uh, Just a really fun run of comics. Uh, They rebooted the Legion coming out of, uh, I think it was the Zero Hour event, if I remember right. And And I had all of those in physical form at the time. And I, I don't know, just for one reason or another, just went in there and started rereading. And then after that run came to a close, I skipped forward a few years and went on to the next run of Legion, which uh, I also enjoyed. So DC seems to like to bring the Legion back every few years. 
um, and that. So at the moment, I'm currently kind of piecing through the really early stuff. I was thinking I would uh, take a look at the Paul Levitz era from back in the 70s. So just really kind of taking advantage of uh, the access that I've got currently, which is fun. On uh, the Marvel side, uh, I'm on February 2015 and that, and Secret Wars is getting closer and closer and just finished Spider-Verse for the first time. And that was uh, that was an enjoyable little crossover, I gotta say. Um, definitely becoming a big fan of Dan Slott's writing. So that's all good. Uh, um, got a small piece of uh, slightly sad news to report. I'm not sure what happened, but somehow yesterday my Kobo got broken. So I will have to look into a replacement for that. I have too many books on that thing to go without a Kobo. And I don't care for reading novels on a tablet. So. Tablets are heavy. Well, it's not so much. Like I've got an 8-inch one that's pretty light and everything like that. It's just the tech and that. I much prefer an e-ink screen for when I'm reading a novel. Than that. Um, yeah, the, the illuminated ones are hard on your eyes after a while. I won't look at that. I read a lot on my phone, and it does get hard after a while, and I, I wouldn't mind having one of those. I, I guess they, what is it? It's sort of like, um, I don't know how to describe what they, how those well, work. P-Ink is really, I find, I find the tech fascinating. Um, so is it like magnetic or something, or how does it uh, work? Kind of. It's the screen is made up of like thousands of like little pixels? spheres, like oh. act, and it, actual and it spins them or balls, and it spins them. Half half of it is half the sphere is black, half the sphere is white, and the screen controller rearranges and spins them to make what's it's basically like the old dot matrix printers except oh. that the, the pixels are a lot smaller than what those old dot matrix ones could could do and so it turns turns out into text and images but the thing that's always fascinated me is that the screen only uses power when you're redrawing it. Once it's drawn... It just stays that way. Yeah, it just stays that way. So for example, um, my broken one is currently displaying the cover of the last book I was reading. Mm. And it will. Forever. For... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of neat. I like that. Yeah. So... It's, yeah, It'll be it's, a, yeah, I guess it, there, there'll never be a uh, color version of it, I would guess. Eh? There, no, there are color versions, actually. Interesting. Um, I wonder how they do that. Because... They're, not, they're, they're, not quite, they're not quite there yet, really. 
but um, there are covers, and there, that, sorry, there are there are color versions in that, and it's something that they continue to uh, work towards. But um, there's there is an interesting color version of E-Ink that you've probably already seen uh, in grocery stores, of all things. A lot of supermarkets have gone to uh, E-Ink price displays on their shelves. All those, and you, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, and with those, they went black and white and red. Yeah, I noticed that. I poked one. Uh, this was several months ago, and I'm like, that's interesting because it kind of like flashed on and off, and then it came back, and it was, yep, yeah. And, and I was like, and and I, so, I don't understand how that works. So, I mean, so yeah, it's e ink. So, like I said, once once it's set, it uses no power, and yeah, so that, you can that just that makes it easy. They can just walk up to it with the uh, remote or whatever, and they just tap it, and it changes it. Yep, which exactly. should make a lot of sense in that uh, application. Yeah. They've so, been printing uh, off a million labels in the back and then having to put yep. them out. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And I understand that they've also used color e-ink displays for stuff like billboards. And this is full color. It's just that because you're always so far away from it, the pixel size can be fairly large. So, yeah, so there's that. Um, Sorry, I derailed you from what you were thinking about. The oh, no, 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 no worries. We, we, we derail all the time around here. <laughs> uh, so as far as reading goes, that's about it. Gaming-wise, I've been doing a lot more video gaming lately um, because Madeline came to me and started making plans to get a PlayStation 4. So we looked briefly into getting a PlayStation 5, but um, PlayStation 5s are still really, really hard to come by. And it turns out that there aren't very many PlayStation 5 games. You can play a lot of games on the PlayStation 5, it's just that the vast majority of them are also PlayStation 4. Yeah. So there, there, there aren't a lot of exclusives to the PlayStation 5. I think there's under a dozen currently. I think, well, co I think COVID happened and everything got shut down, so there wasn't a lot of development going on. Also, I think, yeah. I think it had something to do. Yeah, it very well could be in, in that. And so, uh, so yeah, so we got a used PlayStation 4 for a very decent price. Uh, all credit to my daughter. She's the one who tracked it down. Uh, and I was looking at it, and I decided to go with a PlayStation Plus membership. Because I figured, okay, I'll spend X amount of dollars and be able to try a whole bunch of games. And... It'll cost me less than buying two actual games. Because, wow, video games are expensive. Um, and so, on the price point that we picked, uh, 
There's also the PlayStation Plus streaming service. And I ended up actually replaying one of my old PlayStation 3 games. Uh, I just finished it yesterday, uh, Infamous. Yep. And it holds up. I mean, it's... I think this is like the third time I played through it. Probably the only game I've ever played through that many times. And really enjoyed it. So now I'm moved on to uh, Infamous 2 last night. So that is more video gaming than I've done probably in the last three, four years. Was playing through Infamous. Um, on the role-playing game side of things, uh, fate continues to conspire against actually getting back to Pat's campaign. <laughs> yeah. I I have high hopes for this coming Wednesday. But uh I am waiting and seeing simply because so many other things have interfered in the past. Uh the <laughs> most recent being uh myself and my family coming down with COVID nineteen. So but I am feeling better. I intend to be back to work on Monday, and I definitely intend to game on Wednesday, so we shall see. Um, haven't done a lot of online gaming, but I did uh, I get to play on Thursday night uh, with my 2002 in Pathfinder Society, which is my mutagenist, and that was fun. That was a, that was a good game, uh, and I am now at 8th level with the new gist. So, looking forward to 8th level, I might actually go start going slow mode with um, with that one. Uh, normally, you level up inside of three games in Pathfinder Society. Um, because of a couple of uh, 1 XP bounties, I'm actually perpetually in the middle of a level. Um, you, you level up every every 12 XP. And so I'm at 86 XP right now, starting level 8. So I'm finally considering going slow mode where you only get 2 XP per game because there's not a lot of uh, 7 to 10 games out there. There's more 5 to 8s, and uh, if there are any 7 to 10s, well, I've got a couple of levels left, a couple of uh, sessions left of my 2001 in the 7 and 10 range. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I'm still having an awful lot of fun, which is which is what counts. And that uh, on the TV side, uh, been rewatching, almost binge watching in some ways. Grim, I seem to be averaging about uh, 
I sit down and watch maybe two to three episodes or so, uh, and yeah, I'm I'm really really enjoying the rewatch. I'm on about midway through season three right now, so it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you have if you have time and you're looking for a good show to rewatch, I highly recommend Grimm. And I have fantastic news. I just found this last night, so I'm pretty sure it's pretty new. Amazon Prime has Chuck. Mm-hmm. And I've been wanting to rewatch Chuck for ages, and there's been no place in Canada that streams it, but now Amazon Prime is streaming Chuck. Yeah, I've got the entire series in DVD format sitting here in my basement, but uh, I just noticed yeah. it, uh, I think this morning, when I was looking through the list of what's available. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I have so, it. I have it on DVD as well, but I don't think I've ever watched it since the original. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the I'm in the process of getting rid of a lot of my DVDs simply because I never use them anymore. Yeah. I don't even I don't even have space. a compu- I don't have a computer that actually has a DVD drive anymore. I've got three computers in the house, not one of them has a DVD drive. Mm. They don't they don't make them anymore. Yeah. yeah, you have to get external ones. At least they don't come standard anymore. Yeah, I, had to get, I had to get an external one. It's funny. I, I actually had to pick up an external CD drive um, because uh, I have a long lost uh, album that I managed to somehow find and track down. It's this obscure Edmonton band who only existed for two years. They only made like, I don't know, maybe 10,000 copies of their album. And so they're, oh, wow. yeah. I, I, I've, I've, my, my favorite band probably of all time. Uh, because I used to go and watch them on weekends, just um, performing at like the the Purple Onion or other little bars around town, and um, loved their music. Lost my album um, and lost the drive where I had the digital copies saved, and I was distraught. And you know, contacted all my friends from back then, see if anyone there had a copy they could send me, or even like dig- digital files they could send me. And then somehow, just randomly, went searching for it a couple months ago on Discog. Somebody was selling like five copies uh, at a reasonable price for like I don't know, twelve, fifteen dollars. I'm like done, sold. I'll even pay uh, expedited shipping to get it to me faster. But but then when, once I got it, like I have no way to actually access this. I don't have like there, there's a CD player. There's a CD player in the car that I could use to listen to, but I have no way to get the music off the disc into digital format to put onto my phone. So I have real access to it. So I actually went out and spent like twenty five dollars to buy a external optical drive just purely to access the CD. What I, I shouldn't have I should have thought ahead and bought a DVD slash CD drive if i were thinking i wasn't because then yeah, i could have no. accessed my at, the one i got at, is a blue, at, blue at, at least at least you're only 25 bucks in true true you know it was it wasn't a huge uh, expenditure yeah. yeah but yeah i have a couple of you know i've been going through my various things and i've definitely kept more cds than i've kept dvds mm-hmm. and that just just for the music i mean there's a there's a few cape Breton bands for example that you're not going to find anywhere. Yeah. You know, so. Although, but, apparently, uh, check Discord because you never know. Yep. This this guy wasn't but, even uh, from Alberta. Like, I, I think he sent it from, like, somewhere in the States. It, it wasn't even Canadian. Some I don't know how he got his hands on these discs, but it was an incredible yeah. find. I remember 
I think I found a Gowan CD that I really wanted back <laughs> nice. from South Africa. Okay. Something like that. Um, it was one of the ones uh, a couple of decades ago, somebody smashed my car window and took my CD wallet. Yeah, I had that same problem. And, and uh, you know, in some ways, I kind of felt bad for the thief because trying <laughs> to pawn my CD collection, you know, good, good, good luck with that. You know, I'd... I don't. I don't think Ottawa area pawn shops would give a lot for the complete Bear McNeil's um, collection, for example. But I, the ones that I really wanted back, I eventually managed to track down, and one of them was this. Uh, the nice thing is that I still had the case because I got uh, when I bought the disc, uh, I got it autographed because I bought it at one of his concerts. And he was signing, he was signing the stuff after. So I still had the case, so I just got a new copy of the CD, nice. and I just put the CD back in the old case with his autograph. So that was that was nice. Because who uses CD um, wallets anymore, right? Yeah, true enough. Well, my current my current rig, for example, doesn't have a CD player. Right. Yeah. That's so, what I'm talking uh, about. Yep. That's actually a big issue for archivists. So much yep. digital content, and it takes no time at all for the format to go out of style. How do you keep the record of all this stuff hmm. that's accessible? Yeah, yeah. Um, my advice: use an open format like Ogvorbus or uh, VP9, for example. Google's made that completely free, clear, and open, mm -hmm. so uh, that one would work. Um, so yeah, uh, and then we arrive to the big part, uh, Ottawa Comic Con, <laughs> and so I went, and for those who have been uh, listening to the podcast for a while, uh, you, you may remember that I've made a habit of applying for media accreditation every year uh, and I think I reported on the last podcast that I was on that in a fit of optimism I uh, applied again <clears throat> and it broke my streak because they said yes <laughs> broke the streak in a good way yep they were desperate for attention after COVID <laughs> <laughs> they were that's, taking everyone yeah that's that is my theory that is my theory so um, I went, uh, I requested access to a number of guests. Uh, that didn't work out, um, except for uh, the folks who were in Artist Alley. And that's uh, for those folks, I was given permission to simply just ask if they'd talk to me. And basically everyone I asked did. So I only did about 10 interviews, but some of them are a bit on the longer side. Um, the biggest get, I suppose, that I had uh, was uh, Gail Simone, comic book writer of so many different things. Uh, best known 
I think, for her DC work on stuff like Birds of Prey and, and The Secret Six. Um, but she's also done a ton of uh, Marvel work, including a notable run on Deadpool. Uh, she's worked for Dynamite. She's worked for Boom. She's worked for, you know, just about any decent-sized publisher you can think of. Um, and she sat down with me for 20 minutes. So I, I was not expecting that. I thought I'd be lucky to get five. So, um, so I got oh. to talk with her. I got to talk with a guy named Marco Rudy, who's done a lot of work here and there. Uh, Dan Parent, or uh, Dan Parent, since I was in Ottawa and my brain was working in French mode. Um, <laughs> from Archie Comics, who is like the main classic Archie artist these days. Got to talk with him for a while. Uh, uh, a number of other folks, uh, some local, some not. So yeah, so uh, 10 interviews. Nice. Um, and that, and I got to wander around the con and saw a few panels here and there and a few other, a few other things. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and got to meet uh, the person who approved the media credentials, a uh, very nice lady. So I am hopeful that the Out of the Basement podcast will be back next year. And uh, may try some different things, um, you know, remote interviews before or after the con, for example. I have a couple of interviews. Uh, I have a couple of people uh, who are interested in giving interviews uh, after the con as well. Uh, there's a, fellow, a local fellow, Mark Shanebloom, um, who's been a major presence in the Canadian comic scene for literally decades. Uh, and that, uh, and he's willing to sit down. Uh, there's another fellow who was actually working as an MC for a couple of the panels that I saw and everything like that. He's from Montreal. Uh, he, his main focus is a podcast uh, celebrating YTV from the 90s, basically. Oh, jeez. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, um, pretty pretty nice guy uh, I talked with him briefly just in the halls and that and so that's some stuff that I'm hoping to line up in the next few weeks and that and probably just uh, do the discord thing so yeah so it was it was an interesting experience uh, and you know I even got to uh, do a follow-up interview. One of the folks who was kind enough to talk to me the first time that I did interviews where, you know, it was just me and my business cards and uh, nothing official at all was a guy named Paul Ash, who is a stand-up comedian from Montreal who does a geek-themed comedy battle that he calls Battlecom. 
and Battlecom was back at uh, the Ottawa Comic Con this year, and I got to sit down uh, with Paul and do a follow-up, which turned out to be the quietest interview that I did all weekend because we did it in the vacated conference room that there wasn't really a crowd of people talking in. No. Yeah. So anyways, that's it. I've rambled a long time. I'm done. Uh, okay. No problem. Let's move on to Patrick. What have you been up to? Oh, okay. Well, um, let's see here. I haven't been doing a lot in the way of games or reading or anything like that, but I've been doing a lot of watching stuff. Um, so I'll start off with the movies that I've seen recently. Now, these have all been streaming movies. I haven't been in the theater since... Uh, I can't remember. I think it was uh, Doctor Strange. You, Multiverse of Madness was the last movie I saw in the theater. So uh, one movie I've been curious about for a little while is Sunshine. Uh, so that's available on uh, Prime, I believe. Um, so that's Chris Evans, Benedict Wan, Cillian Murphy, and Michelle Yeoh. Uh, so a lot of uh, Marvel personalities before they actually became... Uh, big in the MCU. Um, I have to admit, right from the get-go when they were describing what the situation was, I kept on asking myself, so why is this a mad mission? Uh, doing that mission that they had for the movie as a robotic mission would have been so much faster, cheaper, and safer. Uh, but of course, then there wouldn't be a movie. Um, but uh, overall, yeah, it was kind of fun. Um, you know, the, the suspension of disbelief uh, wasn't quite there, again, just mainly because the mission itself didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, another movie that I saw uh, was, it's a Ridley Scott movie that uh, came out right about the time that uh, COVID started. Uh, and so it really missed its opportunity to, uh, to do well in the box office, which is a shame because it was really good. Uh, it's called The Last Duel. Um, and it stars uh, Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben Affleck. Uh, so the premise of this movie is, well, the last duel that it's talking about is in France, the last uh, duel to the death as a, uh, as a judgment uh, um, for a, a crime, right? So uh, the last defender, uh, well, trial by combat. Um, so it's... Uh, basically about a rape um, and uh, so you've got the three main people involved in it so you've got uh, Matt Damon oh, and I can't remember the different characters names uh, but he's basically the husband of the woman who gets raped uh, Adam Driver is the rapist and uh, Jodie Comer is is the wife the one the victim of the rape um, and so the movie is told from three different perspectives. The first one is from Matt Damon's character's perspective. Uh, then we get it from Adam Driver's character's perspective. And then finally, what's supposed to be the actual truth of the whole situation uh, from uh, Jodie Comer's character's perspective. Um, and it, it's a really good movie. I would highly recommend uh, people going and seeing it, uh, though due to the subject matter and so on, and uh, the fact that it does, I mean, it's not a graphic uh, display of the attack, but uh, you do see the attack played out 
uh, three different ways, well, two different ways. Um, it, it could have some, uh, there should be a trigger warning, I guess, given with it. Um, for TV shows, uh, mainly new stuff. Uh, so we, Brenda and I have been watching Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Uh, so I think it was episode six, I think, dropped last night. Um, so it's not a faithful retelling of the uh, early parts of uh, the Lord of the Rings mythology, but uh, it's you can see where it's trying to get to uh, and how it's trying to get there. And, um, it is entertaining, but I think it's the most expensive thing that Amazon's ever put it, put to film. And it's really not uh, living up to that. Uh, I mean, the, the production quality of The Expanse was uh, way better. I mean, it's got some nice sets and, uh, and costumes and so on. It just isn't seeming... Like, I would think that uh, House of, the, House of Dra the Dragon is probably uh, a much more... Uh, well, looks like it's got the, the money behind it, whereas uh, uh, Rings of Power doesn't quite but if you're interested and you're not an actual die-hard Tolkien fan uh, then it's probably worthwhile watching gives you at least an idea of what the background was uh, for all of the events that were going on in the Peter Jackson movies um, on Netflix we've been watching a show called abstract uh, now, this is nothing to do with genre, but it's uh, all about uh, design. So big, big names in uh, the design world. Um, so the first episode is a gentleman who uh, is basically a modern artist, but he's doing his art from the perspective of the viewer is an integral piece of the art. And, you know, how the viewer perceives the art is as important as the uh, piece of art itself. Um, second episode is a woman, uh, she's, uh, Israeli, has a design medic and medical background and engineering background and so on. Uh, and, uh, she's working with a special team at MIT now to, uh, basically use natural phenomena for design. So, uh, she, uh, had, was using milk proteins to develop plastics or, uh, one of her first installations was uh, basically a frame that silkworms then filled out uh, in the over a period of months uh, in the main lobby. Um, so her perspective on using nature as an inspiration for her designs. Uh, the second one is a woman who's a toy maker, but uh, she doesn't want to be doing a directed kind of a toy. She wants to. Uh, design everything to be completely open-ended so uh, you know kind of going back to maybe well certainly my childhood thing well the big fascination with Lego right you can build anything out of it um, and Lincoln blocks and uh, construction sets and so on so going very Hello. yeah very very uh, open uh, field uh, so that the kids that are building with these things don't have to have an idea of what they're building. It's just, oh, this piece fits together here. How can I make it work? And so on. Uh, so very interesting design philosophy on her toys. Plus, she's not 
just sticking with small things. Uh, one of her big projects is actually, you know, these big heavy pieces uh, that work better in a classroom than in in uh, in a home playroom. Um, and you know, the kids pick it up and they go, "Wow, this is for real!" Like, you know, so they they were feeling like they were really building something with substance when they were playing with these toys. Um, and the last latest, latest episode we watched it, it isn't all of them, there's still more, uh, was uh, the fellow who uh, redesigned the logo and the interface for um, Instagram. Uh, so Brenda wasn't all that excited with his story, but uh, I've had to do a bit of work with uh, UI and UX. Uh, and so I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, at how they were going through the process of developing everything and you know you make it complex and then you simplify it and so on and how they make out make their decisions about everything um on prime star star girl season three has dropped uh so if you're into the star girl series uh it's going they i think they're into about episode th or sorry episode four i think has dropped um, and so now this season, uh, one of the villains from the first season, the gambler has come back into town. Uh, he claimed he was wanting, he was wanting to reform himself because he's discovered that he has a, a daughter that, uh, he didn't know about and he's wanting to find her and, uh, try and reconnect with her. Uh, so the, you know, the season is really dealing a lot with redemption because all of the villains pretty much from season one uh, that survived season one and season two uh, are now trying to be on the good guy's side of things. Uh, and of course, a lot of people are not trusting uh, that that's really what they're wanting to do. Uh, plus the original uh, Starman, is it? Uh, the, the man who had the uh, staff that Stargirl has inherited, uh, he's come back to life because he was apparently killed. Uh, but her connection with the st staff brought him back to life. He basically woke up in his grave and had to dig himself out. Um, so he's back, and of course, he's got a much more black and white view on on the villains. So, uh, you know, it, there's yeah. a bit of a give and take going on between her and him as uh, she's wanting to trust that these villains are really wanting to reform, and he's thinking, no, there's no way that they possibly can. Um, yeah, I really ought to, uh, you know, actually watch season two of Stargirl at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the season two is definitely important for getting into season three, that's for sure. Yeah, I liked season one, so. Yeah, least, season one was good. I just, well, the, they've I just, all been I, I, they've all been good. Stargirl is yeah. a, is a pretty good series if you're wanting to be into the superhero thing. I don't know. Season yeah, I, two, I, I, lost, I, I, Jen I, lost it on season two. She like the first season was great, but the uh, the second season just turned stupid. She said. Mm. Yeah, I just I just gotta I kick my that. broom habit for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rick and Morty season six has dropped. I think there are uh, three episodes into no, there's two episodes into it. Um, so it basically picked up exactly where season five ended um and uh there's they're doing a lot more exploration of uh rick's past and uh all the relevant revelations that came out in season five uh harley quinn's season three is out uh i think they're up to epi eight episodes of that i'm i caught up to seven of them 
so now Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are together and uh, basically at the beginning it opens with them on their honeymoon um, but uh, Poison Ivy is basically trying to find her purpose again uh, deciding on making this grand scheme to uh, completely terraform Gotham and uh, She's just trying to work that out while Harley Quinn is trying to be supportive, but at the same time feeling really bored with all the research that's going on. Um, and so she's kind of interfering a little bit here and there. Uh, it, it's uh, turning interesting into an interesting season because uh, she's Harley Quinn is kind of going into the anti-hero route rather than the straight-up villain. Um, and she's developing a relationship with Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. Um, so it would be interesting to see where the season takes that. Uh, been watching She-Hulk, all caught up on that as of the time of this recording. They've uh, done season or episode six. Um, it's fun, it's very lighthearted, it's very sitcom, breaks the fourth wall all the time. Uh, some people aren't liking it. I'm thinking that it's pretty good. I mean, they're right. Her CGI is looking pretty cheesy. Uh, but uh, when she does show up in the movies, which I'm sure is going to happen, uh, I'm sure they're going to improve on, on all of that. Um, and Andor dropped. So we've got the, the first three episodes of that. Uh, definitely a dark and grim show for the Star Wars universe. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he got his start. Well, actually not just his start, but how the Rebellion itself got started. Because that's more or less what uh, this series is about. Um, and it's all about the history of things rather than uh, the character. Well, I mean, the characters are important and character development is important. Uh, but we all know what happens to Cassian Endor, Endor and where his actual end is. So, I mean, there's no big concerns about him actually getting caught and killed or anything like that with anything that he's doing. Yeah, um, I watched the, uh, the first two episodes this morning, actually. Yeah, yeah. well, that's part of what I was doing today. I wanted to actually get caught up and watch episode three so that I was fully up to date on it. Nice. I'm, I'm A lot of action in episode three. Mother, so. Yeah. Now, one thing about Andor that uh, has been getting me is uh, there's this deputy inspector character mm -hmm. um, and every time he's on the screen I keep on thinking it's a young Kyle MacLachlan from Dune it, I'm just getting those kind of vibes from just from his appearance and the way he is in his uniform uh, now I've got a whole section here on anime because uh, I mentioned last time that we recorded that I uh, I decided to create an, a Crunchyroll account, just a basic one, not a not a paid one, not a premium one. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of uh, anime watching. So, uh, Uncle from Another World on Netflix is uh, still ongoing, um, and it's deconstructing that whole. Uh, I think it's the isekai genre, where the person coming from another world and then uh, living in this fantasy world and so on. Um, as I said before, he's, uh, he's ugly, so everybody keeps on thinking he's a monster or an orc, uh, and it's a secret harem, uh, kind of show as well, because, uh, he's meeting up and helping all these women who start falling for him, but, uh, he doesn't realize it. He's too into his video games, uh, to, to realize that, uh, these women are having an interest with him. So it, 
the the ongoing uh, conceit of the show is just uh, his nephew and his nephew's uh, childhood friend who secretly wants to be his girlfriend uh, are learning about what his life in this other world were like and realizing all the tropes that he's falling into and uh, skipping out on and missing all everything that was actually going on around him. Uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners finally came out on Netflix. I'm two episodes into that. Uh, very, very dark. At least the first episode is. Uh, but uh, definitely has that cyberpunk uh, vibe to it, and I'm looking forward to uh, watching the rest of it. Um, on Crunchyroll uh, shows that I've watched, uh, we'll start off with a this old show. I mean, so old that uh, it was in the four by six resolution or uh, ratio, screen ratio called Girls Bravo. Uh, Pretty simple plot. Uh, this guy is a little on the short side, and as because of that, he's been bullied by girls all his life to the point where he's actually developed a bit of an allergy to girls. Uh, whenever he touches one, he develops a rash. Uh, but it turns out from this other planet that's near enough to Earth that you can see Earth from that planet, but for some reason from Earth you can't see this uh, this other world. Um, she's been able to watch him through her bathtub uh, and has developed a, a real uh, liking for him. Anime. Yeah, only an anime. Um, and so she manages to pull him over into her world for a little bit, uh, where they discover that she's the one woman in his life that he can touch without uh, developing this rash. Um, and then by the end of that episode, they're back in on Earth and she's come through with him. Uh, and so there's, oh, I should also mention her world is largely populated by women. So men do exist, oh, but they are few and far between. So of course, while he was there, uh, he was the most popular person around as all these women going like, oh, there's a man, uh, including, uh, the main, the female leads, uh, sister who is wanting to, to find a husband and was thinking, oh, this guy is the perfect choice. Uh, so most of the series is really about people from this other world that are coming over and basically uh, ending up in this guy's circle. Um, and uh, they all have their own reasons for being there. There's uh, one woman who's basically tasked with finding a husband for the sister. Uh, only uh, this agent is uh, is uh, deathly afraid of men, so she get goes into a panic every time she sees men. <laughs> Uh, there's uh, her assistant who is actually a little girl, but she's a powerful magician uh, and refuses to accept that she's actually a little girl. And uh, so every, you know, everyone treats her like a little girl, but uh, she's like, uh, I'm much more mature and capable than, than that. Um, from the human side of things, there's the childhood best friend uh, female who uh, secretly has a desire for the male lead, but... Uh, always treats him like crap she was actually part of his part of his problem um and so you know there's a bit of a love triangle going on with those three plus we've got two classmates there's uh the guy who thinks that he's god's gift to women because he's got looks and money and everything like that you know the school uniform is black and he actually dares to wear a white uniform mm, um rebel yeah, and so he's trying to uh, have sex with pretty much every woman that he ever meets. Um, 
And then his sister, who's into black magic, uh, somehow gets into her head through a horoscope that uh, our male lead is actually destined to be her, her, uh, her perfect mate. And so she's trying to build up uh, or trying to kidnap him and force him to become her, her husband all the time. Right. So there's a whole lot of sexual uh, shenanigans going on with this one. Uh, it's nothing exceptional, but it was kind of fun. Only one season of it. Uh, another one I watched was Akashic Records of Bastard Magic Instructor. So this is in a world of magic, and uh, there's a magic academy. One of the uh, instructors has uh, disappeared, gone missing, taken a leave, whatever. And so our main hero uh, comes in um, as a teacher, but he's a reluctant teacher going on is he knows one of the other teachers at the academy and he's just being kind of like a deadbeat he's had a major trauma in his life uh with respect to magic and uh so he's just sort of lit, you know rotting on her couch and she's saying i've had enough of this and she forces him to uh come in as a substitute teacher uh and it you know from the beginning it looks like he really doesn't know as much as the students do about magic uh, and uh, over time we discover that no, he was actually part of the magic military and uh, ran into uh, a serious situation that made him decide that magic just wasn't worth it um, but his time being a teacher is reawakening his uh, um, his love of at least protecting people because that's why he was getting into magic in the first place and so there's a bunch of uh, conflicts going on uh, including a uh, potential romance between him and one of his students. But if you, know, if you like that kind of a show with magic and so on, and you know the incompetent guy who turns out to actually be really good, uh, it's worth watching. Uh, one that I was extremely happy about, it was uh, One, one Punch Man Season 2 is available. Um, so season one I saw on Netflix, season two is uh, available on Crunchyroll. Now, because I don't have a premium account, pretty much everything I've been watching ha is... Uh, is uh... Loaded with commercials? No, no. Well, actually, a lot more commercials for some than I thought, but uh, the older ones that I'm watching don't have a lot of commercials. No, they're all uh, subtitled, is what I was getting ah. at. Uh, if you want to get the dubbed versions of, the, of these shows, you're going to have to have premium. So I guess they're kind of smart that way. It's funny because I actually prefer them with the subtitles. Uh, I, I find I find they change the dialogue too much, and you don't actually—they're actually not. Um, they're what they're saying is not actually what they're saying. Well, I've picked up enough Japanese to know that yeah, what they're saying is not actually what's uh, subtitled either. Well, not exactly. So the subtitles giving you the flavor of what they're saying rather than what they're actually saying. Um, but uh, One Punch Man uh, is a fantastic comedy. It uh, pokes fun at the superhero genre. So our main hero, Saitama, um, decided that he wanted to become a hero. And so he went through an intense training regimen of uh, doing 100 push-ups a day for 100 days. And uh, has, as a result, become the most powerful uh, superhero on, in the world. Uh, to the point where he runs, you know, whatever he runs across, all it takes is one punch, and he takes it out. That's why he's one punch man. Um, so, uh, season two is basically continuing the joke. 
Uh, he still hasn't been recognized for how powerful he really is. People think that he's, well, he's, uh, I think, a B-level hero. Where yeah, he, they, they or, think he's a joke or something? Or Well, no, they don't think that he's a joke. They just don't think he's all that powerful. And no. he's not out to get credit for what he's doing, and so he's not really fighting for the recognition. Um, so one of the characters that uh, shows up is uh, a superhero called King. He is regarded as the top tier of the S-level heroes, or the, the top of the S-level pyramid. And uh, his little story is actually that he's just a normal guy, doesn't want to be involved in superheroing or anything like that, but he kept on being in the wrong place, kind of in the wrong time. And so when Saitama has been having his victories, this guy King is the one who ends up being found, and he's just automatically elevated to S1 oh, level one. So he's taking all of the, res the He's taking all the credit, credit, and he doesn't want any of that credit. He just wants to be sitting at home playing his video games. Um, but he's at least realized that just the reputation is enough to uh, put mo most villains in their place. So he hasn't had to fight whenever Saitama's not been around. <laughs> but the two of them discover each other and realize what's going on, and um, and so King is kind of a support person for Saitama, uh, almost like a, a mentor, kind of, just in how to live life, uh, whereas Saitama is the actual villain, or the, the actual hero doing things. Um, but what's one thing that's going on in Season 2 is there's a uh, former student of one of the S-level heroes who's a martial artist, uh, who's going around taking out heroes. He's making it his mission to take out heroes because he thinks that the monsters should be given their due sometimes too. Um, and so Saitama's trying to take him on, or prepare to, preparing to take him on, thinking this guy's a really tough villain that I'm going to be able to, to fight. Um, and he enters a, a martial arts competition to try and learn what's special about martial arts. Um, and that competition goes over three episodes. It's hilarious. Um, at one point, uh, Saitama's up against uh, the the number one threat to him in the competition, um, and uh, Saitama's in, in in disguise. He's wearing a wig, so this fight's happening, and Saitama's got his hands holding the wig on because he doesn't want to lose the wig, because if it's discovered that he's there in disguise, he's going to be instantly disqualified. Uh, and the announcer is saying, "Oh, he's all he could do is stand there and protect his head," and. No, it's just he's trying to hold on to his wig. He's not being threatened by any of the attacks coming his way whatsoever. Huh. Um, and, I mean, his whole interaction with that villain is really funny. Because uh, uh, neither one... They're, they each come run into each other, but neither one's realizing exactly what's going on. Uh, Saitama just uh, is ignoring him as a little bit of a gnat kind of threat. And the other guy is being knocked out so fast he doesn't realize what's happening to him. Um, and there's also a monster society, which is the opposite of the hero society, that's coming up. Uh, and so there's you know a third uh, big enemy that needs to be dealt with. But yeah, it's all funny. And if you look on the internet, you see a lot of, uh, well, how would uh, this person do against Saitama, right? Who'd win in that fight? You know, Superman versus Saitama. And the answer has to be Saitama all the time because that's the joke. He can't be defeated. And he can take out any opponent with only one punch. So he's always going to be the victor. And that's what the whole joke is. Uh, another show that I watched 
an older one from about the early 2010s is uh, called Yamada's First Time, B Gada HK, or K-E-I is how it's spelled. Uh, so this is a raunchier version of uh, uh, Komi Can't Communicate, I'd say, in, in a way. Um, Yamada is this girl who's just getting into high school. Uh, she is pretty and she knows it. She's popular, she knows it. She's smart and she knows it. And she is determined that by the time she graduates, she's going to have made 100 sex friends. And that's kind of where the similarity with Komi is, because Komi just wants to make 100 friends. Uh, but this one is a lot raunchier. Um, so she determines that uh, because she's still a virgin, she is not attractive down there. Uh, and so she wants to lose her virginity before she starts really pursuing all the hot guys. And she figures the best way that she can do this, because she d thinks that uh, she'll turn them off with the way that she is being a virgin. Um, she wants to find just a, an average Joe who's guaranteed to be a, a virgin himself. And that way he won't know what he's getting into with her. And, uh, and you know, the deed can be done and then she can mo move on to her regular or her actual ambitions. Uh, so she finds this guy in a bookstore, uh, accidentally bumps into him, quite literally, uh, and determines that uh, when she discovers that he's not only in her school but in her class, that uh, that she was going to be seducing him, lose her virginity to him, and uh, then move on. Uh, but the whole series is basically about their relationship is she keeps on getting close and then sabotages, self-sabotages the situation. Uh, he's you know, low on self-confidence to start with because he's thinking he, her attentions, or he does, he's, she's so far out of her le his league that she shouldn't be giving him all the attention that she is. Um, and, you know, just getting to the edge of things happening and then something happens to stop it. And, you know, she gets, most of the time it's because she starts getting aggressive and starts pushing him away. Uh, and uh, so, you know, he's wondering, well, does she want me or doesn't she want me? What's the status? status of our relationship and so on uh, and you know over the series uh, everybody around her who knows what's going on realizes that yeah she's really starting to fall for this guy uh, she's the only one who doesn't see really seem to realize that and then you know eventually she ends up realizing that and the two of them uh, actually start having a relationship and of course just like these shows that's when the series ends um, and see another one. And you thought there is never a girl online. So this one is about uh, massive multiplayer online games. Uh, this guy uh, in character or in game uh, proposes to uh, this girl that he, he knew uh, because you get different bonuses for being married, I guess, in within the game system. Um, and uh, discovers that this is actually a man playing a female character. And so he you know, our, our hero gets completely uh, turned off by this and decides that he's never going to uh, propose again, which is kind of funny because when the series starts, he's actually gotten <clears throat> married to this other character, this this girl. Um, but she is so into games compared to real life that she can't distinguish between the two. Right? So she, what happens in game is happening in real life. So she's actually believing that the two of them are actually married. Uh, so the guild ends up meeting in real life. They kind of discover this about her, and the the premise of the sh the show is basically them trying to get her to 
distinguish between reality and uh, and fantasy, the fantasy of the game. And of course, in the meantime, he ends up falling in love with her for real as well, whereas she's always been in love with him from the beginning. Um, and then I got into a couple of uh, very uh, more mature uh, shows. Uh, the first one I'll talk about is called Dance in the Vampire Bund. Uh, again, this is an older show. Uh, so it turns out vampires are real. And uh, this princess leader of the vampires uh, basically uh, builds an artificial island in Tokyo Harbor uh, and wants this to become an independent country within Japan, uh, kind of like uh, Singapore or uh, Hong Kong were at one point. Uh, within China and Indonesia. Um, and uh, there, you know, again, this being anime, it's a high school uh, level kind of relationship, except that the princess is eternally in the body of like an 11 or 12 year old. So, uh, you know, uh, she she's just a little girl. And despite that, uh, she's, there's excuses for her getting undressed in the show an awful lot. Uh, so there's this man who's lost, or student, who's lost his memory uh, that she has an attraction to. She's, she seems to know him, uh, and it turns out that uh, he's actually a werewolf who's part of her personal guard, uh, and they have a large history uh, in the past. And uh, so there's a love story between the two of them, while she's also trying to deal with all the politics and so on. Um, so it's one of those ones where... It's interesting, but I feel a little uncomfortable because, yes, she is a physically a little girl, but at the same time, she's the most wily and uh, in control of her situation character in the whole show. So it's not like there's, you know, if there is a power imbalance, and there is, it's in her favor, not in uh, the others, in the other characters' favors. Uh, one season, uh, it's kind of interesting, nothing extremely special about it. Uh, does have a fair bit of violence in it, but if you like vampire stories, it's worth uh, taking in. And uh, the last of the uh, anime I'll talk about is uh, another mature one called Rin, Daughters of uh, Nemosyne, uh, M-N-E-M-O-S-Y-N-E. -E. Uh, so this is a film noir detective anime it's got fantasy elements some strong sci-fi elements um it's uh each episode now the episodes are 45 minutes long each episode is its own case so the case is solved by the end but each case is also related to an overall arc uh, uh, an overall arch to the story uh which all has to deal with rin's secret um i don't know if i want to talk about what that secret is it comes out in the very first episode, but it's also kind of important for uh, how the episode begins as well. Um, I was kind of, I'm kind of disappointed Pat isn't here because I think he might be interested in it just because of the kind of storytelling involved in it. But at the same time, it does have a lot of sex. As I said, it is mature. And a lot of that sex is uh, is BDSM related because the main villain is very much into uh, it hurting his uh, his victims, um, but yeah, it it is a, a fun, very mature uh, show to watch. I think uh, that's it for what I've been watching uh, for gaming, uh, computer games. I've been into Elite Dangerous. Uh, I've been 
exploring the Witchhead Nebula, which has a lot of Thargoids in it. Uh, so mainly just a lot of exploration going on in there. And uh, I've also kind of gotten back into Conan Exiles because that's what the group has gotten back into. Uh, so I've been playing some of that. Though I am way behind everybody else. I think I just hit uh, 14th level last night. You're um, behind. Just yeah, a <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, Tabletop-wise, uh, as Dwayne mentioned, my Wednesday night Pathfinder game has basically gone two months, is it two and a half months, without us being able to actually get together. We're scheduled to get together this Wednesday, so hopefully it'll happen and uh, we'll actually have a conclusion to this phase of the campaign. Um, on my Thursday night games, uh, the GM wanted to take a little break, so I took that as an opportunity to try and show the guys what Pathfinder 2nd Edition is all about. Uh, so I set up a little one-shot with that. Basically, uh, uh, the, the party just comes across Frankenstein's castle and are there when Frankenstein's monster wakes up and uh, goes crazy. So gave them a little taste of everything. They, uh, they had a small combat against some wolves and uh, they had a chance to do some investigations and interaction with characters. Uh, they ran across a a few traps and then came across the final battle which was a really big battle um, you know showing just how deadly the game can be uh, but uh, that happened so late that uh, we weren't able to actually finish the fight I used a modified flesh golem for, uh, for them uh, so it did it lost most of its immunity to magic while retaining the uh, the vulnerabilities uh, to specific magics that a flesh golem has uh, plus I said that it was instantly berserk uh, so it, it was just going after anything so the party was kind of safe because if they didn't engage too close it would go after the terrain around it rather than uh, the individuals that were trying to attack it but as I said the fight didn't quite finish we we ran out of time and you know, it was just to give a flavor so there was no intention of actually finishing that fight and uh, that brings us to today <laughs> so that's what I've been up to Cool. And uh, in a departure from what we normally would do, uh, I'm going to go next. Um, I also have a, a fair amount of stuff to talk about. Um, okay, so let's start with uh, TV shows. Uh, Jen and I have been going through the latest season of Cobra Kai, which was fantastic. Um, really, really enjoyed that. That show just keeps getting better and better. Um, we also... Uh, she had never seen the first season. I had previously watched the first season of a show called Fate. Uh, it's based on a series of books called The Winx Saga. It's about um, four fairy girls who are in like a high school um, boarding school type thing where they're learning about how to use their magics. And each one of them represents like a different type of fairy magic. So one is uh, deals with light and invisibility. One deals with the mind. One deals with um, the earth and, and plants uh, and then uh, the main character deals with fire and um, as as the first season comes to a conclusion there's a bit of a cliffhanger where uh, like the, the ultimate bad who's kind of been manipulating everything in the background gets released and then basically takes over the school and becomes the headmistress for the, the second season. So the second season finally came out. We watched all of it basically from start to finish, even though it are, I had already seen the first season. Um, it's not a terrible show. It's just, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's just average. Let's say it's an average show. It's not bad. It's not great. There are some cool things. Uh, the magic is interesting, and, and the way they do the magic is fun. Um, and then there, of course, there's always like uh, some sort of unbeatable bad guys that are in the background that have to be dealt with. And you know, at one point they invade the school, and the the whole team has to band together. You know, it's that kind of thing. Um, again, not a terrible show, but um, not the greatest show ever. Uh, what else are we watching? Um, we're currently uh, just started the newest season of Umbrella Academy. Um, mm -hmm. That's season three, I believe. Uh, and that's always a fun show. And um, it, it, the third season just gets wackier because <laughs> during the second season, I don't know if this is a spoiler, during the second season, they kind of introduce, um, I guess it's been throughout the whole thing, but they all go back in time and they meet up with their adoptive dad in the in the in the um, 1960s or something before yeah. he had he had actually embarked upon this this mission to gather these special kids who are all born on the same day um, through magical means and become special and take them into and under his wing and train them to become a crime fighting family. And uh, he, he kind of meet, they meet him. They ask him for help in the past before he's, he's embarked on this. And based on how they turned out and how, how he interacts with them, he decides to go a whole separate way so that when they return to the, to their current present, uh, there's a whole different family there that, that he has gone and adopted instead of the, the original seven. Anyway, well, there's a little more to what happened for that. Then uh, I yeah. don't know how far into it you are. Yeah, so I'm. I, we've currently only watched, I think, the first two or three episodes. Okay, yeah. So you don't know the whole story. Exactly. So I. Oh, so I, we're yeah. Exactly. We're right at the very beginning, and I don't want to give any spoilers or anything. But um, <laughs> the other family is so much better <laughs> than <laughs> yes. these guys are because they've been actually properly trained. He 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 literally <laughs> did learn from his mistakes. Uh, it's 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 very funny. They get they get their ass kicked like immediately. It's super super funny. Anyway, so Umbrella Academy is a great show. Um, I've gotten back into Lock and Key, which is a show that uh, Jen lost interest in after the first season. So um, the third season right recently was released, so I went mm -hmm. back and, and just made it through all of season two, and I'm just starting season three. I haven't, I haven't watched the first episode of season three yet, but that's probably next on my solo list. Mm -hmm. And speaking of solo, um, we watched Andor, which... Uh, again, only the first two episodes so far, but I think it's going to be a great show. Um, there's all these complaints online because, you know, people always complain online about how, oh, it's not fast-paced enough, it's too slow, it's so dark, where's the lightsabers? You know, just, just the usual drivel that you get online about how um, things aren't exactly how someone wants them. I'm really enjoying this. I like the fact that it's dark. I like the fact that it's a slow burn. We already know going into it, there's going to be a couple additional seasons coming up, and, um, and so it's not something we have to... We have to wait to see if it's going to get renewed. They've already planned for at least two seasons. I think maybe even a third. Again, leading up to what happens in Rogue One. So um, I'm really, really enjoying um, the Andor show. Uh, going on to movies. Um, what movie? Oh, I, I went to see Bullet Train in theaters. And fuck, is that an awesome movie. It It's literally 
an anime come to life. It's a live action version of what would definitely be a, an anime style uh, movie. It's over the top. It's absurd. There's all these different assassins from like different assassin. I don't know if they're guilds, but they all have like different fighting styles. Um, there, there's there's a yakuza background that people are trying to get away from and oh my it's it's so wackadoodle but it was fantastic i really really enjoyed it uh we also saw a movie called where the crawdads sing which right. um a little more depressing not quite as fun uh that's that's more of a um just it's it's a girl who basically ends up growing up in the swamp mostly by herself after her dad dies and so the, everyone in town kind of looks at her as an outsider and then there's a boy who's interested in her and he dies mysteriously in the swamp and uh, you know she gets obviously accused because she's the outsider she's the other that everyone can point their fingers at so she goes on trial and there's this whole court case and so it's partially a courtroom drama partially a a um, uh, current day what's that? character study uh no not as much a character study it's it's more it's it's so it's it's partially flashbacks of when she was really young and growing up and the people she interacted with and then partially current day events and then partially a courtroom drama okay and with a great great ending i loved loved the ending of it it was so perfect really enjoyed that um it's, it's a good movie um but we saw so bell or not bell um Cineplex had this thing where it was their 30th anniversary, maybe. So they had every movie in every format available for every seat for $3. So we actually went to see these two movies back to back. <laughs> we saw them <laughs> on the same day, one at one o'clock, one at like 3.30 or four o'clock. And so we spent the whole day basically watching movies. And uh, we saw, we made the mistake of seeing Bullet Trade first. I, I really wish we had done done it in the reverse because, in comparison to how wackadoodle amazing Bullet Train was, um, the the second movie was a much slower burn. It's it's much less. Um, there's no there's no there's almost no action at all in it really. Mm -hmm. um, but I I love when people get you know when people are just being assholes. And they get their comeuppance. That is one of my favorite things, and that—that's what happens in this movie. And it was very enjoyable. I think that's all I want to talk about for movies. Uh, for video games, like everyone says, we're, we've been very much into Conan Exile again. Um, we well, they just dropped the sorcery stuff. Right, so. right, yeah. It had it had just released um, at the beginning of this month, really. So it's been around. Yeah. Was eleventh or was it the first? I, I, thought, I, I thought it was September first. Yeah. Okay. So so it's it's been around for like three weeks at this point, and we're getting a lot of enjoyment playing it. The sorcery adds a new aspect to it, which is enjoyable. And um, we're kind of doing a little bit of a different approach this time where the previously, one of the reasons I think no one really got into it was that one person spent a lot of time in the game, knew a lot about all of it before even we'd, we'd all started playing together and just gathered all these high-end and end of game resources and made all like, the best tier everything for us there was there was no journey there was no um 
progression. progression. Yeah, exactly. It was it was just here. Everything's kind of handed to you, and, and here everyone's now at end game. Let's let's go out and do end game stuff. But but you didn't really kind of you know learn the crafting system and how the different items work and where to get the items. So so all of that is like a learned journey that we skipped over the first time. So this time we're doing it slightly differently. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Everyone sets up their own base separately, does does their own resource gathering for the most part. We help each other out when necessary, and then we'll get together and do you know let's let's go attack the Deftari capital or let's go do a dungeon. So so we'll do fun stuff together, but for the most part, everyone is mostly playing on their own. So I've I've been getting a lot more enjoyment out of it this time around. Although like I was one of the few people who really spent a lot of time in that game the first run through as well. A lot of everyone else basically just dropped off very quickly. And mm. uh, and this time it seems oh, to I was, be I was in it for a fair bit longer. Yeah, you were. You were yeah. doing a lot of base building and that's that's always been the kind of stuff that you're into anyway. Yeah, um, I carried over if you see my career. <laughs> your your base is insane. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I sent a screenshot to the to our Discord chat, but that's what it looks like right now. <laughs> um, something so, else. So I did I did like every, we always joke with with um, uh, Nick who who's the fellow that does everything mm -hmm. normally for us, and um, he likes to build um, boxes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the the game doesn't isn't friendly to non box shapes. Mm -hmm. In terms of bases, which is really depressing, because you yeah, can especially do after Valheim. Yeah, it's just, but they they do give you some like angle stuff, but for some reason they they're like, okay, let's do things at, like wedges at like sixty degrees instead of forty five. <laughs> so you can't really connect it to anything, and it's just like, well, that's just it makes it very difficult to build a base that's not just a box. You know, because because an angle at four, at sixty degrees, you can't you can only connect it to one side. I mean, you can't make a forty five would be, you know, a lot easier. That would yeah, that would connect to two ninety degree angles, but no, you, you got a sixty degree. So one side connects and the other side doesn't. So nothing matches, and it's just it's I I don't know why the designers decided to use like a 60 degree wedge. It doesn't make any sense to me uh, from a base building perspective. I don't I just don't understand it. So apparently there's mods that you can you can get that'll make 45 degrees and I've been debating whether or not to ask to get that installed on the server because this 60 degree bullshit. I don't know. Like <laughs> I I just I don't get it. But yeah, uh, he he likes to make boxes. But I digress, and uh, I I'm tr I'm trying to build a base that's like okay, multiple layers. Um, try to not have straight walls. Put some put some curves in it using the stupid sixty degree things, which you can do, but it just looks strange if you don't fiddle with it. But you know, I I managed to make. A decent looking base and I, I decided to do multiple buildings for my base instead of just one usually if it's just one giant massive building and I was like ah, boring so I've I've split up a lot of my crafting between two different buildings so well, and it so I think it looks better so I made a compound instead of a base so so we joke you know. about how Nick bakes 
square buildings, but he makes like office complexes. Mine is literally yes. just one square block where all uh -huh. my crafting stuff is. And then the rest of the crafting stuff is on the roof. And then I had to, because I only had it one, one tile tall, uh, some of the crafting stations wouldn't fit because they were, they were too tall. So I had to actually have a cutout section that was two tiles tall. And so my, my, um, base basically looks like a Lego block or not even a Lego block, like a Tetris block. It's basically yeah, like I, I saw it yesterday. I was driving past. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, it's is that? it's the most basic design ever created. Uh, there's half my crafting stations are outside, just on the roof because right. I didn't have yeah. room for them inside the the first block that I made, and that's it. I don't care about the base at all, no, but it's where I spend. I, I, I know I, I spend so, so much like, time. There's a person. <laughs> yep. I, I, I literally put zero effort into that base and I don't care. Meanwhile, you wouldn't, Paul you spends, wouldn't have walls if you could get away with it. Yeah, if, if if they didn't stop the sandstorm from killing me, I would not even bother with walls because they restrict the amount of space that I have available. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and also, it gives me access to the roof so I can uh, actually put. Well, also, if you get a purge, right? So. Yeah, but I don't even care because last time or, or before. Nick jacked up the the purge um, difficulty. difficulty before I was attacked by crocodiles and it was like the easiest thing. My my companions, the people I leave behind on guard, could have easily ten and handled it if I hadn't returned. Yeah, the only one they might have actually had a problem with was the demon that showed up at the very end at the boss, but even that wasn't that difficult. Anyway, so we're yeah. getting a kick out of that game. We will eventually be getting back into Valheim once uh, the Mistlands open up. Um, I think that's basically what we're waiting for. Once it's available, that will be our next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I have also been spending a lot of time playing Mech Warrior. I've gotten back into Mech Warrior Mercenaries. Um, it's just—it's such a great game, and I started a brand new campaign, and uh, it's going well. I'm really enjoying it. I have yet to actually play that like solo. My own, start my own campaign. I only other—I only ever play it with like you guys in a group because mm -hmm. I—I do not find it very much fun playing solo like my my days of, of doing that just like going through the campaign alone um it was different back in like mech warrior 2 and 3 because um it had a progression and a storyline mm -hmm. but this one is sort of like open open world yeah it's, it's very much you can world. you can you can go wherever you want and for me uh that's that's pretty like i mean I need I need a strict guideline for that kind of game, something to follow, not go wherever I feel like going. But the cool I thing mean, is, depending on the areas you go to, there are new campaigns that keep opening up, but they're like three, yeah. four uh, mission arcs. And so it's not yeah. like a long-term campaign where you've got, you know, from level one to level 60 over the course of 285 months um, it's it's more yeah. he, you, you go to this area oh here's three different campaigns that are kind of happening at this time period in this area and um, and if you weren't there at that time you might even miss out on them because they're like they're era specific 
you know, yeah, yeah, like some some weapons and stuff only unlock after a certain time period, right? And and you can have access to certain things. Yeah, in that state. and and I made sure to start at the earliest possible starting date. So I'm starting with you know very old technology when some of the new stuff hasn't been discovered and brought into existence yet. So I'm not dealing with like double heat sinks. I'm not dealing with extended range weaponry. I'm still dealing with just the vanilla stuff from the very beginning. And it's it's actually quite fun although i keep getting my ass kicked and my mechs blown up and it's pissing me off (laughs) (laughs) usually the 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 missions are so um overwhelmingly one-sided like you will be going up against uh as many as five different lances over the course of like say one mission so you're you're progressively getting more and more damaged as you kind of make your way and then you know they, they throw 30 tanks at you and the tanks have like Oh, sure, sure. They only have one weapon, but that weapon hits fucking hard, and they're tougher to kill unless you manage to walk on them and they just instantly die. But yeah, it's 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 annoying how one-sided those missions are, and uh, you kind of, if you walk away without losing at least one or two of your limbs, then you've actually done a good job. Yeah. Uh, role-playing games, um, my Thursday night group, my game that I've been running has been kind of placed on hiatus. Um, and we've returned to fifth at D and D that another one of the guys is running, and that one is super fun because um, <laughs> we're basically playing a campaign where we're all, you know, dwarves. I think for the most part right now we're playing a, a fully dwarven campaign because the world is it's it's like a custom world where there was a, a war and most of the humans are gone and really it's just the dwarves that are left and and there are a few other race allies that uh that like goliaths or one of them um so it sounds like earth yeah it's 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 i guess kind of similar to that setting and he and he actually does like earth as a game so it makes sense that's where his um his campaign setting may have been influenced by but fifth that is it's, it's a decent system and so we're getting a kick out of that. Uh, my Monday night game finally is back underway again. Uh, the Star Wars campaign continues with my friends from Chicago. Mainly, actually, I think everyone who takes part in that is a member of the Anonymous Tabletop podcast, who great friends of our show, great friends of the um, uh, Freebooters Network, which I'm also a part of. Um, so that, that we've basically been on hiatus since april <laughs> we've been trying to get a game together i check every couple of weeks to see if people are available and then inevitably at least two of the four people are off doing something else and they're not available so and now that the summer's over i think it's it's starting to get back into a more regular play session so we managed to get a couple of games in over the past uh, month and that's batting well above our normal average um, and then I've recently started a Cyberpunk 2020 game with you guys, with some of you guys. I think, Paul, you're the only person on the podcast who's actually taking part in that. Um, uh, Pat is. Pat is. You're not here. Right. But... I'm, I'm talking about the people who are here. Oh, okay, yes. Uh, so far, we've only gone through character creation and done, like, one cool roleplay session where people were kind of... We, we started everyone's storylines from... from um, like a baseline where 
they know each other, they've interacted with each other, but they're not together as a party. Everyone's doing their own thing. So I would be switching back and forth between the different um, storylines. And we're still kind of waiting for that all to merge and there to be like a unified group going forth and doing things. Uh, we're still waiting for Nick to kind of join that and create his fixer character. I think he will become maybe more of a central unifying figure in order to help get everyone together into an official, like effective posse. Mm -hmm. One person is playing a corporate security officer. One person is playing a um, lascivious uh, doctor. Uh, one person. Is the word I'm going to use. What's that? He he missed it. Yep, yep, that works. I'm going to use. Sure. Um, you could also use the word sex pot. <laughs> that that would also <laughs> be use that word <laughs> accurate. Uh, hasn't really more, more to come in my in in my section. Right. Um, hasn't really come into play yet in the game, but like I said, it's only been one single RP session so far, and and uh, more of that I'm sure we'll get interjected into the game as as opportunities arise. And then I've been talking to this is a group that I've that I um, recorded the um, the Force is Not Always with You podcast. Uh, we were playing Star Wars. Um, we haven't really been playing much remotely ever since COVID started. It's been shut down, but we're finally kind of all comfortable with potentially getting back together again. And so there we're talking about getting back together for the first time in October. Um, and we're still kind of figuring out what game to play. Uh, one guy recently picked up cyberpunk red and is thinking maybe he wants to do something with that. Um, so I might actually have two cyberpunk games going side by side or simultaneously. Uh, we're using two separate systems, so that might be interesting. Uh, we'll we'll see how that turns out. And uh, maybe if I actually like the cyberpunk red system better, I might just do like a quick conversion to get our characters converted into that into the cyberpunk red system, and uh, and maybe continue the campaign using that system instead. We'll see. Do you know anything about it? Like, what what's the difference? Uh, so. I think the difference is mainly in the fluidity of combat. It's just been modernized a bit more. Uh, there are minor changes to the life path system. I prefer the 2020 life path system where you roll individually to see what happened in each year. Uh, whereas in the red system, the life path is there are three different categories. The something good or something bad happens to you, the romance, and the friendship, or uh, friends and enemies. Um, instead of rolling randomly to see which one of those might happen every year between the age of 16 and the year you finally begin gaming, it's you roll a random dice of like, I think D10 minus seven, uh, to see how many of each of those categories of events happen to you over in your, in your past. So it's, it's a little more streamlined rather than rolling every year, one, one at a time, you roll for each of those categories as a group. And so you might get three in one category. You might get two in one category. You might get zero. And so that is how you build your, your background character rather than doing an individual role each year. So slightly, slightly different. Uh, there's, there's other differences as well. Like there's maximum caps on how high your starting skills can be. Um, there's, uh, it, it completely does away with the fully randomly rolled, um, uh, st stat chart. Uh, instead it gives you three different options. Um, one option is you're, you're given a stat number of uh, sorry, a static number of points to start with, and you build your character according to that, that pool. 
uh, with limits on how high each stat can start. And there's there's limits on how high starting skills can be uh, can be built up to. And uh, career skills are, are doubled from 10 to 20. So you have a lot more skills to, to distribute your points around. So you're, and you, and you're at the max you can start with is level six in a single skill. So you won't have what kind of the, the situation Paul's in where he's, his major stat is maxed out at 10 and his major skill is maxed out at 10. And so basically he's, his starting role is a 20 without any modifiers, which is kind of like the, a, a very good role in the game. So it'll, it'll just make it a little more, um, more of a starting character rather than someone who is like fantastic. I, I, at a specific I did, thing. I, yeah, I did notice that, um, the way the characters are built is you can be extremely good at one thing mm -hmm. and then you you just shit at everything else yeah so it's like you'd make a, a more well-rounded character right i think yeah exactly so instead of having like like there's nine stats and um some of you rolled very well and have like tens in four of your stats which is like an ungodly character basically which is fine yeah the PCs well, Kevin and i got really really lucky on Roles, yeah, you really did. Uh, meanwhile, Pat, because he's Pat, rolled shit on <laughs> a lot of his roles. So, so he oh, has God. more average stats. <sighs> he has a couple that are high, but nothing maxed out. Like nothing is a ten, and I think only four, maybe three of them are are eight or higher. So, um, he's a little behind the curb in in where he was born. Uh, and and he didn't put he didn't max out his career stat either or career skill. So he's he's starting with a lot less income. He's starting with a lot a lot uh, a lot more um, uh, just kind of scraping by, rather than starting off in a penthouse the way that the two of you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, that's that should be in. We'll we'll see what game they finally decide on. Um, there's also talk of maybe doing D and D. So I'm like, well. If you want to see what old school D and D was like, I can introduce you to Second Ed, and maybe we'll do something like Dragonlands, which is an incredible setting, campaign setting. Or maybe I'll show you the brutality of Second Edition, and we take you to Dark Sun, and you you start at third level because, and you make multiple characters because you definitely will die at least once or twice over the course of the uh, the campaign. <laughs> it's a brutal world and a brutal system, even though it uses the, the regular... I love my elf. He was one of my favorite characters. That is, seriously, my it's my favorite game setting of all. Um, I, I've really enjoyed Dragonlance as a novel series, but not as much to, to actually play in, uh, mm -hmm. whereas Dark Sun is just an incredible setting to be in with. I've never played straight up like Dungeons and Dragons of any kind. So um, at least two of my players have also made that exact same comment. You know, Dungeons and Dragons is the most common or well-known role-playing yeah, game of all it's time. The one that, like, if you're talking to somebody who has no idea what role-playing is, mm -hmm. you say Dungeons and Dragons, they're like, oh, okay. Right. It, you know, it's the thing. But so many have just never played it. Like, I have never played it. Ever. I, I don't know if you're really missing out. Like it's yeah. it's it's a it's a decent game, especially the fifth and second and fifth editions are are good. Uh, anything after that or between those two, uh, I personally did not like at all. Um, 
I think I do have a copy of Third Ed somewhere, but like I said, I've never played it. So Probably I, never will play it. For me, I think Fourth is the most egregious. Uh, yes. the, the the biggest departure. I, a from, lot of people would agree with that. Yeah, uh, but even three point three and three point five, what they introduced, I'm I'm not a fan of like feats and stuff. Uh, there's so much of it I just don't like. I don't like it. Um, fifth fifth is good, although they're already talking about they're moving to something called D and D one, which is the one next D. progression or one D and D. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe that's that'll be a segment three topic at some point. Once we kind of mo know more about the direction they're headed, I mean, well, we could we could get a hold of the playtest and yeah. try it out. Yeah, we, we definitely could do that. Although, I, I don't know how much Paul would have to contribute because he doesn't have any of the the background of what the previous editions were like. So he, he no, but I can tell you what I thought of of that. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff we can talk about in, in a, a segment three discussion about kind of the direction that that uh wizards of the coast has, has moved dnd into um not all of it positive but i guess mm -hmm. more inclusive and and more accepting of others uh, uh, gross <laughs> <laughs> okay uh anyway i think that's everything i want to talk about paul let's move on to your segment one please yeah well, most of it is you've already talked about mm -hmm. so it's fantastic so i won't i won't um i won't there's not much for me to say really i haven't been watching anything although i do have one um netflix show that i think patrick might be interested in mm -hmm. um it's an anime uh it's called the way of the house husband oh already watched it uh, okay there we go you just never said anything about it so yeah. that's why i wasn't sure okay I yeah. Oh, that, that reminds me, uh, Bastard, which was one that I talked about before, yes. uh, just came back out on Netflix. So I think I haven't uh, finished that one yet. I yeah. So, so Dark Schneider was in a serious situation at the end of the, the last batch. And so oh. it starts off with how Dark. he gets out of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So there's there's that. That's like I said, I haven't really been watching anything because I've been mostly uh, Conan mm -hmm. seems to absorb most of my life at this point. I'm just mostly, like I said, we're, we're doing our own things, which means um, a lot more uh, a slower progression, so I'm not racing through all of it. I can, I there's things I need to do, like I have to do my own farming for materials and and that kind of stuff, which is which is cool. I get, I'm getting to explore the map a little bit, mm -hmm. you know. Um, finally have i have a decent enough weapon that most things aren't a challenge anymore so that's good because that game dying can be very challenging time, yeah dying all the time to a bunch of uh hyenas that run out of nowhere and attack you is very irritating because you can't get your body back because every time you can try to go near it the hyenas just get you again you know so it's like Nick, come help. I can't <laughs> kill this hyena. And he's chewing on my corpse. You know, so <laughs> being able to actually defend yourself for the most part is is better. But yeah, I have been doing mostly base building. And um, I stumbled across uh, a recipe. You know how you've got, you've got uh, higher tier furnaces to do your your crafting and whatnot um they have 
uh, a slot limit. Mm -hmm. So you can only do so much at once. But um, I apparently somewhere along the way, I got a recipe for an improved furnace uh, called the kiln, which, well, it, it gives you a bonus to how fast it does things. It's not super like the um, the high efficiency furnace or whatever that's like a 300% speed boost. Mm -hmm. So it just spits through this stuff fast, but the difference is, is that the overall inventory space of the kiln is about two or three times the size of that furnace. Nice. So it, it's, a, it's a 60 slot furnace, while the other one is only like 20 or 30. So I literally... My problem was is I was trying to make hardened stone and it doesn't do it fast enough and I would fill the furnace up and still have like half the stone. So like the solution is like, well, just get more furnaces. And that's one way of doing it, but then it requires so much materials just to fuel it and everything else, which isn't that hard to come by, but I'm impatient. <laughs> so <clears throat> I built this kiln and it holds it holds 60 slots and that's a crap ton of stone. I ended up last night, I let it cook overnight and it made me like 3000 and something hardened brick or more, just this kiln. And it's super, it's super efficient because it's the only one that sort of does, gives you an efficiency to speed and fuel consumption. Nice. Yeah, it's the only one. And apparently it's like, uh, I'm not sure where I even got the recipe. I think Nick might have actually given it to me. He said it might have found it in a drop somewhere. It's just like a, a thing that you just, like a sheet of paper you read and mm -hmm. get the recipe. I'm not even sure where it came from. All I know is I did some research online about it. And it's, it's really good if you're one of those people that likes to build bases, which is sort of my shtick. So I got quite a good use out of it last night. So I kind of want to really talk about uh, my cyberpunk character. Because <laughs> I think this is the first time I've ever made uh, a character for one of our role-playing games where I super flushed out my background, mm -hmm. backstory. Like, oh, that's a that you're doomed. <laughs> like, I know, 100% doomed. I'm fine with that. It's just, like... I put a lot of effort into that, <laughs> and it's also weird because I think this is all. This is also the first time I've ever actively chosen to play a female character. I don't do that usually, unless it's a video game. Mm -hmm. Then it's pretty much the only thing I play. But uh, it's hard to role play a female character, <laughs> at least from my perspective, um, especially playing with a bunch of guys. So it's just weird. But I did a like really strong background to this character, and even to like you told us to make an NPC like companion. I wouldn't call it a companion. No, it's it's more just like, someone from your history that you have a strong connection to that I can fuck with. Yeah, <laughs> I made a background for that character that rivals my own. Right. <laughs> And, and I'm like, I actually want to flush out and roll stats for this this NPC. And you're like, well, go to this page and roll the stats for the NPC. I didn't do it yet, but I will. And I just, I don't know. I'm making a very interesting background to this character. It's like, maybe I should write a novel or a short story about this character. Because... You 100% should, by the way. You definitely, are definitely you, should. Are you really wanting to put that much effort into something that 
into a character that everyone's going to fridge. Eh, I mean, whatever. We play a lot of games and we never finish them. So, so here's the thing. This the whole purpose of this game was to be a filler in the month that yeah. Jess isn't available. So we would we would play something else and and not Star Wars, right? So the month ends very soon and we have like one more weekend left after this and that's really it and then we might be back to star wars but i really want to keep going with this um i'm i'm on board with continuing with this too to be honest like i know there's like three different role-playing things that i'm doing right now mm -hmm. you know we're doing the star wars we've got this one and everybody kind of seems to be in it except for nick right at the moment but that's because nick's been busy the last couple of times right that we've played um the first time he just wasn't feeling it uh the second time he had his parents over so i can understand why he couldn't be it for that i'm hoping the next time we play that he'll actually you know show up because that would be great although but just that being said it actually might be a great game with just three players that way we can concentrate more on individual yeah. storylines without having to make it just like an action fest where so that people don't get bored yeah um my my biggest thing is i'm like yeah you know, i noticed it in the last the last session and while i i wasn't quite paying as good close attention as i should have been because i was too busy writing backstory <laughs> not gonna lie i spent that entire thing writing backstory um but <laughs> but you know I, I was thinking i'm like i'm i i i i struggled trying to find a way to interact with Pat's character. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that was just mostly because I couldn't figure out what my history with his character was to right. even have an association with him. Right. And I mean, we sort of determined that it was, I knew his family or something, because he's playing a nomad, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, but it was, it was more just like an acquaintance. And I'm trying to think like, how am I supposed to have this sort of like any real relationship to do with his character and i mean he was playing it like we were we were been friends we you know or well not necessarily friends but we you know we we knew each other blah had past history or whatever but i i couldn't i didn't feel it i couldn't i couldn't see it you know so i'm trying to i was trying to i was throwing some ideas around i'm like how can i make uh, a stronger connection to pat's character and i I came up with a couple ideas. I'm not sure whether or not they're going to work, but it, a lot of it fell into um, the various roles that I did for the previous years. You mm -hmm. know, from age 16 to the 20, the age 23 that I am now, my as my character. So, I think there was like some. The very first year was like there was a betrayal or something. I can't remember. I think it was, and I had to do something to redeem that or to clear my name. I guess it was. And I, I was trying to figure out how I could incorporate maybe um, I I got help from Pat's family and that's how that relationship started there mm -hmm. and then something happened from there. And so I'm trying to build a backstory that I can build this relationship with Pat's character off. Gavin's character is simply we grew up together type thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I suppose that's okay, but I'm still. I still feel like I'm gonna have have an issue with Gavin's character in terms of um, interacting. 
Well, also, because of the role that you took as a med tech, you're more like a sideline character, not necessarily like an active combat character. So uh, even getting you involved in like a proper mission, it's not going to be easy, but we'll have to figure out a way to do that so that you don't just, you know, sit at home waiting until the action happens, then you just come in and fix the people who are broken. Yeah, because I mean, I do, I do like New Rose Hotel. I do, <laughs> All flashbacks. <laughs> I do. I do actually have a fairly decent combat skill. That was probably the the second highest skill I have is my combat skill. Okay. So I did. I did make myself somewhat. You know, I'm not this like weakling piece of crap. I I, I can do some something. I think, I guess. Yeah, but well, not a liability need, on the battlefield. We need to figure out what your motivation would be to actually leave the clinic or leave your your medical profession yeah. to go out and put yourself at risk like that. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to like increase my like my relationship, like try to figure out what the relationship between the other characters mm -hmm. are. So I have I, I have a higher need to go and and do something than just sit there and wait, you know. Oh, so yeah. I mean that's fairly simple. The missions are just relating to you need to have uh, med tech or biotech expertise to be able to to complete the mission. Well, there is that as an option. So I'm I'm just I'm just trying to think about it, and I do have to change a couple of my things. Like I I originally made my character to be like super like like dead set sex pot, right? And I think I've got to change it so that. Sex isn't the entire focus of my character. Because <laughs> that's pretty just... I mean, I'm still going to leave some of that stuff there, but, you know, like I wrote for my, 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 my NPC background, it's like, I met the person because they got shot, and I decided to intervene and, and save their life because I was hoping to get laid. <laughs> and I'm like, that's... Maybe not. Maybe I will will take it. it's like because you know the medical training I needed to save said person's life, blah blah blah. And you know I don't want to just be this like sex blind person just like that's the first and only thing I see because mm -hmm. I know that's not the way I'm going to play the character. And I and I, I proved that like there was opportunities thrown at me from Pat to <laughs> and I'm just like. No, I'm not having none of that. Yeah, but and that's it's, it's also because it's Pat. Like it's it's yeah, someone you oh. know in the real world and just even disassociating yeah. between your your person or your your character and your personal life. Just it's it, that's that's an awkward oh, no. situation to begin with. That would be like going into uh, the aliens game and uh you start hitting on Jess, right? Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't, but uh, somebody was. Well, no, nobody has, but, I mean, especially with uh, Gavin actually being there. Right, her her husband Gavin is also playing in the game, um, <laughs> but playing a completely asexual character, which is also kind of weird. <laughs> Break up, you're crackling again, Paul. God dang it. I tell you. But I, I don't know what to tell you. I... I, I, I think I need to shift the focus a little bit so well my character does focus on on um, you know the more hedonistic stuff I can't be the main focus mm. so I gotta move to uh, change the way I play the character a little bit so less less of 
all I think about is sex all the time. And I, I mean, that's difficult for my character because, well, for one, I rolled that the character is mostly naked all the time. Mm-hmm. Which so. was a randomly rolled um, uh, yeah. clothing option, which uh, I noticed they have removed from Cyberpunk Red, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were joking at, uh, you know, I was like, I'm like, here, I'm going to play a female character. Oh, look, one of the options is to roll naked. And um, sure going, enough. Going my luck. And sure enough, that's exactly what rolled. And I was like, I'll go with it. <laughs> so, so I did. And I even wrote it into my background. Um, the reason why she wears little to no clothing at all times. Although it's funny because that has also been a clothing option, not randomly rolled, but often selected by male characters in other games that we've played. Like, so so there was one game where Gavin was playing a bounty hunter <laughs> yeah. where he only wore a G-string. Like, that was his clothing. Uh, for some reason, he went, like, bare naked. Uh, and <laughs> I, I don't know why he, he made that decision, but he did, and he kept going well, with it well, that, and he had to be oiled up at all times uh no i think that was uh that that was maybe in pat's um 40k game in uh, Dar- yes, Dark Heresy. Okay, but once again gavin yeah. shows a male character yep. that had to be naked almost all the time <laughs> and i don't understand <laughs> yeah it, it, it's it's a weird choice to begin with but kind of on brand for for gavin so but, you know, because we're playing this on Roll20 we, mm-hmm. and the character sheets are there, we're allowed to pick a, um, like, a descriptive avatar picture mm-hmm. for the for the the, uh, the character. And I will admit that the, the two of us, you and I, after we, after I rolled that character, I think we spent, what, an hour? Oh, at least. Online for good photos <laughs> to describe this character. <laughs> and, and so I, I would keep putting these images uh, as examples for Paul of... of... <laughs> Basically, women wearing uh, see-through-ish clothing that weren't <laughs> yeah. that weren't pornographic, and I kept putting them into our Discord chat that everyone has access to. And and I had to put I had to put a caveat. I promise you, we're not being pervy. We're literally just looking for uh, for character pictures for Paul's character. <laughs> <laughs> The the, the, per, the perviness. After a while, we started doing it on purpose. Though. Yeah, yeah the, the, the the perviness was a side benefit. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, we ended up finding a really good one, and surprisingly enough, it's very tasteful. It is, but and... it's, it's also my, probably my favorite picture from that night. Yeah, not, it's, not it's... the most revealing, but my favorite out of all of them. Yeah, it was it. I I like the way it was. T- it is too. It, but, but the cool it, thing is, it uh, also incorporated. Like it kind of captured the the spirit of the person. It wasn't just you know. Yeah. I'm just. Eh. It, she she was a little more classy, um, even though she was kind of punkish with her weird braided hair and the the turtleneck yeah. shirt that that actually also acted as a face mask. It's a weird look, but it looks amazing to put together. Yeah, um, the hair is not representative of the character. Right, because my my character's hair is like um, glows and changes colors. Well, yeah, same it's, with the, it's same it's, with the tattoos and it, stuff. It's too. cyber hair, like the the, the hair yeah, is yeah, yeah. cybernetically enhanced to be modifiable uh, color wise. Yeah, and I I the tattoos that my character has, um, I sort of like if you if. I, I think back to Tron Legacy. If you've seen Tron Legacy and the specifically the one scene that where Jeff Bridges is wearing his like I guess it's like a trench coat. Hmm. I wanna say. Hmm. But the entire inside of the coat lights up white. Right. So that's kind of what 
my my character doesn't go completely naked. Like she's supposedly wearing a like an armored coat. I guess it would be like a trench coat. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't really wear anything else underneath that, even though it doesn't really describe the picture that we found. Right. But I could be wearing something that's very see-through like that underneath. But um, I, I wanted it so that her tattoos gl- light up the inside of the trench coat. Mm-hmm. That's how I envision her. Right. So you've got this glow of her tattoos lighting up the inside of the coat, you know? And that's that's kind of how I, I view the tattoo thing. So, I don't know. So this is really turned into a bit more of like a segment three discussion, or not discussion, but more I like a... Um, uh, conversation. Um, Shall we move on to our regularly scheduled segment two? Or do you have more? I did did want to throw in the uh, the Star Wars stuff. Did we talk about the fact that you did the whole campaign thing for me because I was the Force user? Did we talk about that in the last recording? Um, I I don't know if we brought it up. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I I didn't really do it specifically just for you. It just the no. way the way that that campaign happened to end up, it happened to have because it was like an archaeological um, discovery type uh, thing. It happened to have a force sensitive component at the end, which will end up completely changing the direction of the campaign now, or has yeah. has the potential to completely change has the direction to. of the campaign. Well, that's that's the thing because there's a force user in the party. Generally, the GM throws in a mission somewhere along the way, which then provides said force user with either access to a training thing like a um, holocron, holocron yeah, usually. or or you know a, a wily Jedi trainer somewhere along the way, like mm-hmm. a recluse hermit Yoda style character. Mm-hmm. Or some, or this gives them access to a, a lightsaber. Either it would be a training saber or something that they can improve later on or whatnot. And I feel like this was the bone that you had. You, you were sort of that you took the opportunity to give to my character, which I appreciate because I was starting to feel rather useless a little bit. Um, I like playing force users, but they really in this in this setting. Um, they're very hard to play in um, edge, uh, even even in um, Force and Destiny. Well, not so much Force and Destiny, but just like Edge of the Empire or um, Age of Rebellion campaigns. Mm-hmm. Playing a Force user is very um, just because of the time period. You know, Jedi are hunted. They're not. You know. It, it's not wise to play a force using character because you're going to have a target on your back. It makes it very difficult for interactions with other, you know, with the rest of the party. There's always some something that is after you. I mean, it makes great for storytelling in terms of there's always something that GM can use to, you know, to fuck with everyone. <laughs> Plus, there's that, there's that that pesky morality keeps coming to play. That pesky morality, yes. the The biggest thing I I I I find the morality system is kind of shit, mm-hmm. especially the fact that um. That that's the other thing that makes it hard to play a, a force using character in Edge with other people is, especially with it, if you're playing with Nick, because <laughs> he likes to just shoot everything and ask questions later, mm-hmm. and other people's decisions apparently um, 
negatively affect my morality. <laughs> yes, they do. And I can't control other people, but for some reason, it still apparently affects my morality. I can sort of say, hey guys, maybe try to find a non-violent solution. Oh, you've shot him already. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's... I shouldn't be penalized because of what other people are doing if, you know, if I attempt to try to steer them to a better course. And that mostly comes down to the GM hopefully throwing me a bone. Well, see, that attempt is at least taken into account by how badly your morality is affected. Yeah, I guess. But, like, I can't... Uh, there's but... no, there's no, like... Um, I actually was listening to uh, um, a live a live playing, well, not live playing, but it's like a, a podcast, a couple of different podcasts uh, recently that just finished Force and Destiny mm -hmm. um, campaigns, and one of them had a character fall to the dark side. Mm -hmm. So he was actively, uh, I mean, it was only it only happened like one or two episodes before the end of the entire uh, campaign. And after he fell, he actively avoided using any force powers. And I think that was kind of a mistake, but because um, he didn't play the character the way he should have. It's sort of like, oh, I know I fall into the dark side, but in in reality, if if a Jedi falls to the dark side, they don't just suddenly decide, oh, I'm evil now. I better stop using all my force powers. No, in fact, they double down and go hardcore. Yeah, usually. So I'm, I'm like, he this, he decides to not use his force powers. I'm like, ah, that's not. You're not playing the character the way you should play the character. Like, you should be going full out at this point. The problem was was that he's still playing in a party with three other light side force users, mm -hmm. right? And okay, I kind of get that, but you also know the campaign's about to end, so. Because quite often, what happens if you if your character ends up going to the dark side, um, they generally get pulled as and swapped to an NPC, mm -hmm. like could turn into an NPC, so you no longer have access to play that character anymore. Right. But if you're already at like the end confrontation of your campaign, you know it's going to be over into two things. Just go all out, like seriously, you know, go evil, because. <laughs> Because at that point, there's no... I mean, it's going to be over anyway, so... Mm -hmm. You know, and you know that the end is, is there. Even role-playing it, so... I don't the know. The end is nigh. Yeah, I would have I kept playing it. And I, I mean, in an Edge campaign... Because I'm the only Force user in the party and everybody else is kind of questionable. Especially Jess's character, who murders everything... Yeah, well, she's a soldier. That's kind of what she's built for. I guess, but I'm just saying, it's like, would it make a difference if I fell to the dark side? Like, seriously. <laughs> I'd probably fit in better with the rest of the party, considering it's an edge campaign. Mm -hmm. Like, if it was Age of Rebellion, that'd be different. Right? But because it's an edge campaign, that was already, you're like, full of bounty hunters and questionable with questionable morals. Mm -hmm. So... I don't think having a uh, dark side force user in an edge campaign would be that detrimental, unless you had another light side force user in the campaign. Right. Or brought elements of force stuff to it. Yeah. 
Well, the way the force the force dice work is there are more dark side options than light side options, but there are more stronger light side options than there are for the dark side. So I think on the the the, the destiny dice, there is a few. You'll never see a double dark side pip on it. Correct. I don't I don't believe there is one. There are more dark side pips than light side pips on it. But you'll you'll there there is the option to get two light side pips on the dice that you don't get with the dark side. So it, it's sort of they designed it so that you have the dark side is more tempting. Therefore, you have more chances to get dark side rolls, but they're not as powerful as the light side ones. Right. So at least that's how it was explained to me during this podcast when they were talking about like tactics or, or not tactics, but like um, what was it rules? I guess kind of rules. The rules Q and A about it, and so going dark side, you have more chances for dark side, but you don't. It's they're not as powerful, so you don't have as many. Um, yeah, you don't. It's not as it's not as powerful in terms of how many points you can spend when you do end up rolling them. Right. So, and the one thing that they weren't super clear on in the rules was I, although I think it is like this, the one thing I've never agreed with is like, I want to use a forest power. I've only rolled dark side, so I can use those, but I have to take strain, which is fine. I agree with that, but it's the whole, well, now I have to flip a destiny point over to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I've never been a big fan of that whole, that whole um, flipping the destiny point thing. I don't think that's that should be an option, like included in that. If I'm going to use the dark side point, just like double the the strain cost. And, you know, instead of like, you know, it's like because you should be you have access to the force power. You should be able to do it regardless of. You know, I don't like the fact that oh, suddenly you've run out of darks or you've run out of destiny points, so you can't do any force powers that are dark side, because that doesn't make sense to me. You should always be able to be to be able to do them, even if you're just solely pulling on the dark side. Well, Either increase the amount of conflict or increase the amount of strain cost would make more sense. But just suddenly think, oh, you you we don't have any more destiny points, therefore you can't you can't flip to do it. Well, the the whole thing about the destiny pool is really we're not using it kind of the way it's supposed to be used i'm not using enough of the dark side and you guys aren't yes. really tapping into the light side as much as you have the option I, to i would use them like all the time if you equally use them but you just you never you never use it yeah so, that, that, that's that's on me though that's that's my fault and uh something yeah, i will try to fix so like and and I mean that's that's just you as a GM like I some of these podcasts I've listened to the GM literally will sort of analyze the role that he wants the person to to do and then 90% of the time he'll flip a destiny point to upgrade their that difficulty right because failure is fun yeah you know that's that's, that's not and it doesn't and, it doesn't and have he, to be and story and story wise he can justify a despair in just about every single role sure you know, so every roll he ends up upgrading it. So they're just flipping these points back and forth. And if and I and I that's the reason we don't use a lot is because you don't use them. Right. So when suddenly there's an entire pool of just dark side points because we've gone through the three that we've had for the entire 
thing because you know <laughs> that's all we got and we're waiting for you to flip the other five back over to give us an opportunity to use them you just don't so we never want to use them because we're we know you're never going to flip them back so we never get them back at least that's that's the impression that i get whenever we play well when we play tomorrow that will change i will start fucking throwing <laughs> them out I will, i'll start using them like fucking candy no problem because yeah i i failure is fun yeah. I mean, it, it sucks, but you can, in this story, you can justify a despair. And it doesn't necessarily, like, something extremely dreadful happens. You know, despairs are just, you know, it, it... Some people think that they're the worst possible thing in the world, and that's not necessarily true. It depends on how the GM wants to to spin them, right? Mm -hmm. So... See, one, one of the things I love most about this system, and we've talked about this a lot in the past is that what you roll isn't necessarily a success or a failure, right? You could succeed and have something amazing or something terrible happen at the same time. And just because you fail doesn't mean something good doesn't also come out of it. You're just, you fail at the task you were, you're attempting, but then as a result of what you were trying to do, something amazing could also happen. So that that's the kind of dual nature of the, uh, of the game that I really, or the system, the, camp, the system that I really like. Yeah. It's it's narrative dice, mm -hmm. right? So, they all the dice is there is to guide you to determine whether or not you succeed, whether or not you succeed great, whether you fail but something good happens in a different way, or, or the worst of all possible scenarios, yeah. something terrible happens because of your failure, which That's is right. also fun. Yes, I mean, it basically it comes down to whether the GM decides to completely destroy you <laughs> and hopefully that's not the case because nobody really enjoys that but it's not like oh you completely fumble and the rules say that your character is not dead right you know it's it's really up to the gm to say okay well you know what you just either you just lose a limb or something beneficial that you were trying to get you just can't get anymore but the story's not over right you know and some and i think that's that's one of the thing i like about um the dice because it, it allows you to narratively find a way to still achieve your goal even though you may have failed at that taking that avenue there's other ways to get to that mm -hmm. right so you just try again in a different route so that first one didn't work try a different way and i that's why i really like the, the system there are aspects of it that are shit and a lot of people complain about the morality system being key to that at least for the light the force using stuff Apparently, I, I've of all the podcasts I've listened to, none of the GMs like the the morality system. Uh, there's and, one that I was listening to where they did three or four seasons, purely narrative, um, very strong storyline that that actually was quite touching at at points. Um, uh, but these guys are like you know professional actors or um, comedians uh, who who are taking part in these campaigns, so so they're really able to build a, a story together. Um, I, I wish I could remember the name of it. For, for some reason, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it, but it it might be one, some of the best Star Wars stuff I've ever listened to in an actual play. And yeah. um, they really delved into Force and Destiny, and they really went into the morality system whole heart. And so you're talking about your emotion, your emotional strengths and weaknesses, which are kind of the triggers that cause you to either be uh, want to go to the light side or cause you to fall to the dark side, right? So these are these are 
um, specific things about your character that are um, that affect kind of how you view the world, right? They're the driving force behind your character. Right, exactly. And as you're given the temptation to fall to the dark side, if if you don't, if you say um, bad, bad roles show up on your force dice and you're forced to choose between, well, do I want this thing to actually work? Do I want to um, force force this this uh, effect to actually happen, or do I just say let it go? And no, I want to I want to maintain my morality. I don't want to I don't want to tempt the dark side, that slippery slope to the dark side. And then once that slope starts, and then once you the rage starts to build, and um, and you start tapping more and more into that power it just kind of fuels this this snowball effect right and now you want you want more and you want more and you want more and you just keep pulling that darkness into you uh it, it actually can be if done properly if 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 everyone on both sides the gm and the and the players um use it effectively uh it can be an incredible storytelling um experience we're, yeah. we're just not uh, there I, unfortunately I think... Yeah, the one thing that I, I, I forget and I have to focus on is my uh, uh, my weakness and my... What was it? What did you call uh, it? Emotional Sorry. strengths and weaknesses. Yes, yeah, my emotional strengths and weaknesses. I have to focus on that. I have to maintain that as as the deciding factor for most of my decisions. Yeah, not, not necessarily and, decisions, but forced decisions. So when you're talking about whether yeah. or not you tap into the dark side, those are the but, triggers. You know, there, there, yeah, but there are other things too. Like there's, um, like the emotional weakness of like obsession, mm -hmm. you know. So that can be, that's not just in like the force stuff because you could be obsessed about like maybe there's an NPC that you're supposed to find or whatever, and your obsession is to find that NPC at you know any cost. Right. So you got to keep in mind that in terms of you know overall. You know, my weakness is this obsession, and I have to, I have to do this. So it it'll, it it affects more than just your force decisions. Right. You know, it affects also your overall outlook or your overall mission that your character is playing. So things like that, I have to I have to pay more attention to the the strengths and weaknesses that I chose, and I have to make sure that they truly represent the character that I'm playing. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I just gotta, I gotta double check that next time we play and make sure I'm playing it to the correct weakness and strength that I've chosen. Sure. And I if mean, not, then I might have to change those. Yeah, or at least so. pick something that that you think would be easier to, um... or or relatable to what we're actually yeah. doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have made a I have made a decent backstory for my character, mm -hmm. not quite to the degree of my cyberpunk character, <laughs> but I mean, he's got a good story. Which again is a filler game that we're almost out of time <laughs> for the filler time period. That, God, I really hope we're playing it afterwards. That, that's that's the best part, I think. <laughs> yeah. If not, I'll just write a story. <laughs> Anyways, the the last hour has been the Devin Paul show as we talk about cyberpunk and Star Wars. Uh, why don't we move on to segment two and maybe bring Dwayne back into it because I'm sure he's bored of listening to us. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to in the next little bit? Uh, we've already talked about a lot of the stuff that we'd previously mentioned. Um, She-Hulk is finally out and not complete, but it's almost done. Uh, Andor has just started. 
Is um, it almost done? I thought it was uh, going to be 13, so it's at the halfway point. Okay, well, fine, but it's 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 a lot. It's it's at least started. How about that? Okay, it's it's at yes. least started. Um, Andor is kind of um, en route. Um, there's something else starting up very soon that I'm really looking forward to, and I, I'm drawing a blank on what that is. But does anyone have anything else for the news and rumors section, segment two? Uh, oh, Dwayne, Dwayne has taken his mic off mute. Um, well, She-Hulk, I know for a fact, uh, is not... Um, is, is not... 13 episodes. I think it's like 8. Is it 8? Okay, I, but I thought it was so longer it's... than what they have been doing with the shows. Yeah. Um, not, that I'm, not that I'm aware of. Perhaps I'm wrong, but... No, I, I could easily be wrong. I have been in the past. But do, do we actually have anything for news and rumors? What are, what are you guys looking forward to? Yeah. Um... Well, I'm interested in the news that I'm hearing uh, regarding Fantastic Four. So, you know, it's uh, it is interesting. I'm I'm a big fan of John Krasinski and the fact that he's going to play Mr. Fantastic. I'm totally on board with. Well, that's that's the thing. We don't know. Yeah. He's not necessarily coming back to reprise the role for Multiverse no. of Madness. So, you know, it's... That makes you wonder. And... I'm also looking forward to uh, Echo, which is... I think Echo's next in the pipe for uh, Marvel television shows i guess it is kind of stale but the last recording we did was happening while d23 was happening so we didn't really get a chance to talk about all the big announcements they were making true but i also didn't listen to what what the announcements are so so yeah um it does You know, I, I do. I do find myself wondering where things are going to be at. Uh, there's also, you know, Daredevil: Born Again. Mm-hmm. They, uh, that was recently announced. That um, the guy who played Foggy is coming back to reprise his role from the Netflix series. He, yeah. he was a good uh, part of the show. Yeah, he was great. Uh, I. No, I'm, I haven't really been paying a lot of attention to it, but is it that uh, um, Kristen Ritter is not coming back as uh, Jessica Jones? Um, they're not. They're, it's kind of up in the air as to whether or not Jones is coming back. We also haven't heard anything about Luke Cage. Well, uh, Cage will not be, probably because my culture is unavailable. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, yeah, he's got a show called Evil, mm-hmm. 
it moved over to uh, one of the streaming services, if I remember right. But uh... plus, I don't think he was. He left uh, with everyone thinking that he was all that pleasant to work with. So that I that I haven't heard. But uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Anything's possible. And I have, I have just confirmed that uh, She-Hulk is nine episodes, with the last okay. episode set set to drop on the 13th of October. Right. Ah, cool. Or just, just on this side of halfway, then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, so they, they I do need... just released six, so there's only three episodes. Yeah, exactly. So, oh. well, five, five and a half is, like, halfway, right? Five, five. Yeah. Or four and a half. Yeah, four and way, half. way yeah. past halfway. Yeah. So, you know... <clears throat> Uh, I'm also, I haven't heard a lot about Wakanda forever, but I'm looking forward to that. Oh, uh, they did drop I, the trailer. Yeah, I, I've seen at least one trailer at one of the movies that I went to the last few weeks. Yeah. I have, strangely enough, I really have no interest. I, 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 the first one was decent enough. Like, I mean, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I, I, I ended up getting a little pissed off about just how powerful Wakanda is, it, despite the fact that they're nobodies and they've never helped anyone in anything else. So there's... Yeah, but that's because they were doing a hands-off, which is what the whole... which is what Warmonger's whole point was. Right. Killmonger. Yeah. Or Killmonger, Kill yes. Killmonger. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean... Chadwick Boseman was such a loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and but I find myself kind of in the camp that losing T'Challa is a bigger loss than losing Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. So you think they should find like a decent replacement and just recast? Yep. Yeah. You know, it's not like so... that never happened in the MCU before. True. Yeah. yeah, it's not like they didn't do it with the Hulk. Mm -hmm. Or Rhodey. Yeah. <laughs> poor, yeah. poor Rhodey. Uh, uh, speaking of folks who were apparently unpleasant to work with, mm -hmm. that's, Is that that's apparently what lost Terrence Howard his job. Mm. Well, that so. plus he was thinking he was going to be getting offered more money than he actually was. Yeah, well, you know, so although I, I, I did get a kick out of um, they actually um, small shield spoiler, I was a completely different person then. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I literally. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. I will admit. Um, you know, well, it was all over but, the internet after that, so I think a lot of people yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah. But uh, I'm also really looking forward to the Marvels. I really want to see that film. Yeah, but that's not I, scheduled that, until sometime next year, right? Yeah. Speaking of news and rumors, a uh, couple of things from D23. I know we're far behind, but uh, one, the reunion between Harrison Ford and Ki-Hu Kwan was mm -hmm. awesome. Love that. 
Uh, if you haven't seen it, Quan uh, played Short Round yeah. in Temple of Doom. My favorite of all the Indiana Jones movies, by the way. Yeah. Also and the first one he, I ever saw. He, and he has recently returned to acting and getting yeah. rave reviews for everything, everywhere, all at once. Which uh, I really want to see. I haven't seen it yet. But I've heard, heard but nothing but good things about it. Yep. And I mean, hey, um, you know, it's uh, Michelle Lowe. Yo, yeah. Is that her last name? Yo. Yo, yo. That's it. Yo. I hate when I blank on names. <laughs> but uh, she is phenomenal. I could watch her in just about anything. So. And it's good to see. Uh, to see Quan back again because I did enjoy Temple of Doom. I really like Goonies. Yeah, Goonies. And is great. he was he was such a big part of Goonies. So it's it's good to see him back. The other thing that I really enjoyed um, at E twenty three, the cast of the Marvels got to meet Harrison Ford <laughs> and Amon Bellani is such a fangirl. Or so many things. <laughs> her reaction to meeting Harrison Ford was just completely priceless. You know, it's it's that sort of uh, it's just that sort of facial expression which says, "I am absolutely freaking the hell out right now," but also mm. I can die happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So, you know, I mean, I continue to be a complete Marvel fanboy, and I'm looking forward to all of it. Um, although, you know, it's... Phase 4 I, has, I, been, has been a bit disappointing compared to previous aspects of it. it may, maybe in the movies, but, but hold on, because No Way Home was fantastic. Um, it was. And, uh, um, it was. Yeah, Multiverse of Madness. That, that was a good movie. I had no problems with that. I really um, enjoyed it. I I, uh, I actually I enjoyed. I actually enjoyed Love and Thunder more than way more than the third movie. Um, so Ragnarok? I'm Ragnarok. I hated Ragnarok. Yeah. So I'm I'm totally fine with what they've done so yeah, far on see, screen. I'm, I'm I'm flipped there. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, sure I, most I'm I sure really, most people I really, are. I enjoyed Ragnarok. It was all right. Love and Thunder? No. Well, no. all the parts no. that weren't trying to be comedies in Love and Thunder were were pretty good. But the problem is most of it was trying to be a comedy. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I'm sorry. Um, I think Taika Waititi has done some good things. But Love and Thunder? No. Mm -hmm. No. Somebody, somebody needed to, like, tug on his leash. For love and thunder yeah I you know, that, it, it was too much and that um uh, and also i kind of regret that they compressed the jane foster storyline as much as they did you know because mm -hmm. well, i'm just start i'm just starting to read those comics <laughs> and they you could have just dropped Thor Odinson 
and made a movie with Foster. Really. Yeah. Don't know if people would have gone to see it. Huh. I don't Depends know. It's Marvel. It's writing. Marvel. If they, if they yeah. writing right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose they could I mean, have just marketed it as a Jane Foster movie and, you know, she's Natalie Portman's back and that probably would have been enough to sell it. Yeah, and then just have yeah. Thor as like a secondary character who shows up maybe at the beginning at the end but mainly focuses on her. That would have been fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because I mean... Hmm. I, I know she enjoyed making the movie and everything but from my perspective it was kind of a waste but mm -hmm. uh, you know so I'm I'm looking forward I mean I've been enjoying She-Hulk I need to see last Thursday's episode uh, and I'm looking forward to what's coming next mm -hmm. uh, great thing is is that there's plenty of stuff coming next which will you know I'm sure wash the bad taste of Love and Thunder out of my mouth so yeah, well, hopefully whatever's next is going to be better than The Eternals. See, I also see, I, liked, I also enjoy The Eternals. I, liked, I enjoyed The I just, Eternals for I found what it, it was. I found it was too yeah, long. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I enjoyed it for what it was. The cast yeah. was too big, and the movie was too long, and the storyline was too convoluted. But it wasn't a bad movie. Yeah. No, it but it didn't. I mean, like, it entertained me. It didn't annoy me. Mm -hmm. Because that was my that was my problem with Love and Thunder, is I spent half the movie being annoyed. I mean, yeah. I enjoyed certain parts of it absolutely, but I spent half the movie just mm -hmm. irritated. I don't go to movies to be irritated. See yeah. that that was me in uh, whatever the third movie is Ragnarok. Yeah, Rag I I Ragnarok. hated that movie so much. I even tried to go back and watch it again because everyone raves about how good Ragnarok is. But I cannot stand that movie. Whereas mm -hmm. Love and Thunder didn't bug me at all. Sure, it, there were parts that were annoying, like the the um, the goats, the screaming goats were a little overused. Sure, um, Thor was a little too much of a pack. Uh, he's calling him a simp. <laughs> he was a little <laughs> he was a little too into his hammer and the whole love triangle between the hammer and the and the axe mm. and him that that was ridiculous but mm. I, I yeah. didn't it didn't annoy it didn't bother me the way that uh, the Ragnarok did I I yeah but you no weren't problem. quite expecting Ragnarok to be the comedy that it turned out to be right right that... it was I think it was supposed to be more I thought it was going to be more of a serious movie uh, it definitely I, was I think I think that's that's why I. I really not a fan of the Thor stuff is because they've turned him into this comedic thing and that's kind not of how I ever that's not how I ever viewed Thor yeah. and they've well yeah. yes they've and no like the Warriors 3 can be the comic relief mm -hmm. but of course they killed them off in Ragnarok yeah but yeah. Thor himself isn't really no he's not supposed to be the funny ha 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 but that's what they've turned him into yeah and, and I really dislike that it's so funny. that's why I really hesitated to watch Thor Love and Thunder because mm. I'm afraid that it's just going to carry on more of what I saw in Ragnarok, uh, you know, in Ragnarok and as well in the way he interacted with um, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I kind of had the same disappointment in She-Hulk with the, uh, the magic episode. Um. I don't want to talk about it yeah, too too much, but basically, Wong 
hires her to bring a lawsuit against the magician who's using real magic, right? And yeah. that bothered me because that is specifically what the one of the things that the Sorcerer Supreme deals with. Like all the earlier episodes of Doctor Strange was Doctor Strange dealing with these idiots who were tampering with stuff they didn't understand and getting them out of trouble and teaching them a lesson for trying it. Right? So Wong shouldn't be going to somebody else for that. He should be handling it himself in his own way. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. No, I mean, like, one of the big problems is uh, I, f I found the character of Thor irritating. Mm-hmm. Well, that's funny. Yeah. The, way, the way they've done the yeah. show. They, they gave him a couple of decent moments but this personality that what Edie and Hemsworth have come up with for Thor just does not does not work for me I mean well it doesn't really reflect the grandeur of the character who's basically exactly, the heir to I'm, the throne of Asgard so, yeah, the Waititi Thor is not the guy who shows up in Infinity War. No, even even that, yell, like, yell, I, I... yelling, you know, like yes, he's capable of unbelievable things, but he doesn't create that sense of awe mm -hmm. that is important for Thor. Yeah. I mean, like, with the... Ex he I is a literal grant, I will grant an exception. The Rainbow Bridge fight in Ragnarok. <laughs> that, yes, they got the tone right there. That yeah. was Thor. Yeah. Yeah, though the, the executioner didn't quite have the end he should have, yeah. but... You no, see, you see the, um, I was gonna say that the 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 time I realized the, the Thor character was going to shit was um, when they introduced Fat Thor in Endgame. Was it Endgame or Infinity War? See, that, that was Endgame. I think he made sense doing that. That though. was that was totally <laughs> on brand. Like this is a guy who basically, in the first movie, he is this arrogant jockey boy who's never faced defeat right no matter what happens he can never lose and at the end of by the time you get to endgame he has lost everything so well, so the, the the fall that he has taken would very much deal uh, would lead to depression and him acting the way he did so i had no problem with that oh, okay well maybe, yeah. maybe i had no but... problem with that i had a problem with how much they played it for laughs sure that's yeah, yeah that's what i mean that that showed me that they had sort of they've lost respect for the character as far as i was concerned mm -hmm. Just, uh, you so, don't, no, you, no you're right the whole the whole fat thor thing that's fine but the way that they treated or the way they played off of that like yeah i can get the he would have gone into a depression that's fine 100 percent get that but the way that they they sort of laughed at it mm -hmm. you know and yeah. they they made fun of the fact that he was now like overweight and and whatnot Mm. You know, that told me at that point they had lost all respect for the character, and I could see them starting to... I mean, if the, all the com comedy and, and stuff in Ragnarok hadn't given it away that that's the way they were going to take that character, 
you know, I was hoping it was just going to be a one-off for Ragnarok. But, you know, now that he carried on in the rest of them, um, especially with his interactions with uh, the Guardians of well, the Galaxy yeah. stuff, um, mm -hmm. I was just like, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I, I, I care to see any more of this character. You know, I like I like so, yeah. Thor. I thought it was a great character. I liked I liked his interactions with with Hulk and Avengers. You know, because there was a, you know, there was the competition between the two of them, and I and there know, always has been that competition. Yeah, and, and I, I I liked that, and I thought it was really well represented in the third movie. I you know in in, in Ragnarok, I, I kind of like the way that they they were doing that, but then they just really sort of they turned the character into a joke, and I just. No, just doesn't do anything for me. Well, guys, this has I been just, a great just... segment three discussion, but we're kicking at two two and a half hours right now. Uh, do we yeah. want to maybe start closing it out? I I did. Sorry, I think I just, we should close it out. There's yeah. there's one one question oh, God, I want to throw, okay. throw a year through. It has nothing to do with with Marvel stuff. Mm -hmm. It actually goes back to um, when you were talking about Harrison Ford, and I was watching. I guess it was a live stream, and they were just discussing. Um, I'm not sure why they were discussing uh, Harrison Ford in the Indiana Jones films, but it came up, and they made an interesting comment oh. that I had I had never put yeah. together, and it involved um, it involved uh, the very first movie. Uh, what was it? The one with the Raiders. Raiders, Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark. And and somebody said the entire movie was pointless, and yeah. I'm like, well, actually, that was a, a point brought up in the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, they're like they're like. Well, yeah. I mean, if they hadn't bothered chasing or whatever, the the, the Nazis nothing would have changed. Nothing yeah. of their they, they, they would have taken the ark. They would have opened it. Everybody would have died, and then we would have just you know, they could have just come and picked it up the ark up later on. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I'm like, I never thought of it that way. The entire point of this movie is pointless. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so yeah, his, I just wanted to throw that out there because I never I never realized that until somebody pointed it out. And I'm like, huh. They really didn't need to make this movie because the end result would have happened regardless of what happened. Yeah, yep. but the thing is, is that that was such a Saturday morning serial mm -hmm. type thing to do. You yeah, know? and that and that was the whole point be behind Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was George Lucas and Steven Spielberg wanting to create something like the Saturday morning serials that they. Uh, that they grew up with and that and there were any number of those that were solved by a deus ex machina at the end hmm. that mm. would have happened whether the hero was there or not yeah you know so it, it I was just, pretty I just, true yeah, to it but it's been, Paul, it's been this long and i just figured that out yeah, <laughs> yeah. um the, re the reason why they're talking Indiana Jones, the whole reason that Ford was at D23 was publicity for Indiana Jones 5. Oh, yeah, again. I know. Yeah, I've heard yeah. about it. But I haven't the, heard the anything thing. about it. Like, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't know. Like, they, they, they hadn't said anything last I heard anything. Yeah. So, so like, the thing is, is that um, Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford's favorite role. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's mm. it's the only it's the only one that he's never really had to be talked into yeah. repeating. Like they had they had to talk him into redoing on solo. So, yeah, or, yeah, and, uh, his, and his stipulation was that they had to the kill force, him. <laughs> for the Force Awakens. 
Yeah. Yeah, and his like I said, his stipulation was that they had to kill the character. So no. <laughs> But uh but Indiana Jones he's always he's always interested. Yeah. But mm. the circumstances have to be right and the the right people have to come together and everything like that. But from everything I've read, it's the only role that you've never had to talk him into repeating. Yeah. Yeah, so, he likes that. Uh, and just as well, I think it's it's it, yeah. it is the best character and, he's ever played as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I mean I know that <laughs> I know that it wasn't the most popular, but I really like Crystal Skull. Oh god, it was horrible. <laughs> it was it was That was by bad. far <laughs> the worst of I, all. Well, I didn't like Shia LaBeouf in it, otherwise I did enjoy it. You know, I mean <laughs> Yeah, I, I think if they had had a diff if they had played it's, that character different, yeah. it would have been fine. I mean, it's it's Indiana Jones in the fifties. What else is it going to be but Russians <laughs> and aliens? Yeah, yeah. You well, know, Russians, I'm... but the no, I was I was fine with all of that. It didn't. To be honest with you, though, the ending wasn't strong. No, um, and and the way that they played Shia LaBeouf's character. Uh, yeah, the, that character wasn't great to begin with. No, yeah. and um, it was it was just a weak character that happened to be one of the main characters, which mm -hmm. which well, they were really trying to set him up as down. the replacement, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and nothing against Shia Buff, but I think he was the wrong cast. I couldn't watch it and not just think of ter of Transformers. I'm sorry, I. Mm -hmm. I I just couldn't watch it and not think about uh, it continuously. I, I, I have plenty against Shia LaBeouf, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he was... I, I think it was a poor choice for him to yeah. represent that role. It might have been better with somebody else. Preferably somebody like... Um, I don't know, uh, a, a no a no name that I hadn't seen before. That would have been great. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, who's, who's that guy in the... Um, I, I've seen him in other stuff, but I can't remember. He's in... Uh, what is it here? Uh, Uncharted. No, that's Tom Holland. Yeah, it's Tom yeah. Holland. No, there's no. It's the other guy. Mark the Mark. Who's... Marky Mark. Mark Wahlberg. No. There's... Mark Wahlberg could have done it. Yeah, I mean, they, they had an opportunity. They had an opportunity there because you could have absolutely picked an unknown mm -hmm. who yeah. was fantastic in the role because mm -hmm. every he's gonna go see it anyway yeah. yeah nobody went to see kingdom of the crystal skull because shia labeouf was in a main role no no, no they went to see they no. went to see harrison no. ford that's, they went to see harrison ford that's who they went to see so yeah they, they should have to... they should have picked anybody else preferably somebody who they was they could have they could have brought in someone brand new who could have mm -hmm carried the franchise forward yeah yeah easily but yeah. they didn't do that they took they took kind of the conservative way out basically and huh. brought in a name huh. hollywood being was, conservative what a shock yeah but the yeah. thing is is like you know i mean when you've got something like that i mean Bringing in someone new, well, 
Look at the beginnings of the Marvel Universe. The only name they had was Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And everybody thought they were nuts for for building a franchise around them. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, I mean nobody, they... nobody really knew Chris Evans. He'd been in some stuff, but mm -hmm. nothing major. Yeah. Chris yeah. Hemsworth? Yeah. yeah. His you know, biggest Josh, claim to fame Josh, was being Kirk's dad in the reboots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Josh Whedon talked them into taking another look at Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Because of Cabin in the Woods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, going relatively unknown has paid off a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, mm -hmm. anyways. Um, We've I mean, now managed to we we now managed to stretch this out at least another fifteen. Oh, I minutes. I want to stretch it out a little further because just looking through Netflix or through my uh, Facebook feed, two new articles: uh, the Witcher prequel show, uh, the Witcher Blood Origin, has uh, been officially named to start December or to drop onto Netflix December really? twenty five. Uh, our neighbor was letting me give her dog. Oh boy! So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, James Earl Jones has officially uh, retired as Darth Vader and signed over the rights to be played by e by AI. Oh, oh. that's Ooh. a shame, but not 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 unexpected. Yeah, I mean the, he's given enough that I'm pretty sure they could re reproduce his voice. Oh yes, not uh, not to mention, I mean, like how old is Jones? Oh, he's 80, yeah, he's 90. He's, oh, yeah, yeah he's, 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 he's the retirement he's, is not a late 80s. I mean, like, the voice changes as you get older. His voice doesn't, yeah. seem to. <laughs> his voice is yeah, pretty but, much the same and it has not changed. Yeah, Surprise. but I imagine, I imagine it's a little more of an effort Probably. for him to mm -hmm. do that voice again. Because, yeah. you know, so, but uh, that reminds me um, of a Doonesbury comic strip from ages ago that has stuck with me for a very long time. One of the, one of the ensemble characters became a sound engineer and he was doing uh, GPS voices <laughs> with famous actors and yeah. one of them was James Earl Jones, and the only thing with it was make a left, except that the font was made it very obvious that uh, he was doing Darth Vader at the time. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's like that's a keeper, Mr. J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, because I mean, I have to say, I would pay for Darth a Vader. James Earl Jones Darth Vader. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, you, you yeah. can get oh, that easy. I have to, you can I, get it, yes. Well, Samuel yeah, L. Jackson and uh, Morgan Freeman would also with... be good GPS voices. Yep, yeah, and they've done. also done it as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I do have to finish off with one personal story from Comic-Con um, that I haven't told yet. I mentioned it on the Facebook page, so if you've read it, my apologies. But I got to talk to Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche, Pinky mm. in the Brain, about uh, Spellbound, where Pinky and the Brain go hunting for dragon's toenails. Okay. Which which has one of my favorite exchanges of all time. It's stuck with me for like 30 years. 
brain has laid out the plan, the plan, and Pinky is all genius brain. But what if the dragon eats us? <laughs> Which is followed up with that would alter our plans. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which which has stuck with me for ages, and the same episode has, a, like, the brain has solved the situation, but it means he's going to fall down from a fairly great height, and it's the classic uh, cartoon thing where he pauses in midair for a moment to give a line, and the line <laughs> is, "No good will come of this." Yeah. Don't. At which point he falls. For a couple of years, my friends had set up their computers so that when it connected to the internet, that sound clip would happen. So that every time they connected to the internet, the brain would say, no good will come of this. <laughs> and then they're online. So, yeah. And I, and I got to talk to both of them about that. And that was amazing because those guys are voice acting royalty. Mm -hmm. They have done so much everywhere. I mean, Paulson was Arthur on The Tick. Mm -hmm. LaMarche was the evil midnight bomber what bombs at midnight. Yep. <laughs> you know? So, and that's only barely scratching the surface. So, yeah, okay. We're done. I'll shut up now. <laughs> so, we're currently sitting around... Two hours, 50 Three minutes. Hours. Hold on. <laughs> Plus, we still have two battles to go in our uh, semifinals, I think. These are, I think this is the beginning of our semifinals. I, I've lost track of exactly where we are in the. Well, I haven't even done one yet. I, so I know. I can't see I'm, the semis. I'm, well, so yours. Did, 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 did I get a buy? <laughs> no, you, you got a buy in the first round. All the hosts got a buy in the okay. first round. Oh, all right. Okay. That explains it. Yeah. I so in, okay. in round yeah. two, all the hosts go up against the winners from round one. So you're going All up right. against and the we winner. We get to embarrass ourselves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So the 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 but, first. But hey, I will have cool theme music, so that's all the counts. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll set that up sometime, yeah. hopefully this upcoming week, and then I'll put up that episode along with the recordings from Adepticon uh, from Adepticon from Comic Con. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. So thank you for joining us for another Out of the Basement podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. This is this is not good. I don't like it. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the third of our semi our quarterfinal battles. This one is uh, Aisha Turak, uh, my sister, uh, who was the winner from round one versus um, one of the hosts of the Out of the Basement podcast, uh, Patrick Ramsahoy. Hello, uh, Aisha. Your specialist subject is the Buffy universe. And Pat, yours is classic sci-fi from like the 60s, 70s, or or even before. Ooh. Classic sci-fi. And pri primarily talking about books rather than movies. All right. Uh, are we ready to begin? Pat, I'm going to ask you, so. I'm going to ask you your questions first. Okay. Question number one. HTML and CSS are computer languages used to create what? Web pages. Web, web pages or websites is correct. Question number two. What is the Munster's address? I figured 1313 Markingbird Lane. 
That is correct. I figured you'd be old enough to actually know this one. I didn't feel good uh, asking Aisha about this. No. <laughs> Considering it's probably known. 20 years before she was born. Maybe the Adams family. It was before not, I was born, too. True. <laughs> All right. Uh, question number three. What famous singer appeared in the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Uh, that would be Tina Turner. Tina Turner is correct for three out of three, starting off the specialist subject. Excellent. Right, question number there's only, four. There's only three questions? No, no, I thought there was no. five, five questions there's in the, six, before the special subject. There's six generalist questions. I'm just saying three out of three so far. We've we've had oh, we've had less than stellar success in the past, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may all go downhill when you ask me. So Absolutely. Okay. And and we'll we're we're going to soon find out. Question number four. In 1981, the first space shuttle landing occurred on a dry lake at which US Air Air Force Base? Would be Edwards. Edwards Air Force Base in California is correct. Right, question number five. Cruella DeVille is a character who appeared in what novel by Dodie Smith? 101 Dalmatians. 101 Dalmatians is correct. And question number six. Star Trek The Next Generation originally aired in what year? Um, I'm guessing 82. The correct answer was actually 1987. But five out of six for your uh, generalist questions. That's an excellent start. Does Mo not bode well for me. <laughs> Moving on <laughs> to your specialist questions. Um, Aisha, I, I put a, a gimme in there for you, by the way. Oh, thanks. Which one? In the, in, in the like, general in, yeah, in, questions? In, in the generalist questions, yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, good. I hope I get it right. And then and I also uh, added a question that, uh, that Pat for sure would know, and I, I really didn't feel good giving it to him. You might have a chance of knowing it. All right. Okay. Uh, moving, moving on to the specialist subject questions. Arthur C. Clarke's short story, The Sentinel, became which classic film directed by Stanley Kubrick? 2001 a Space Odyssey. 2001 Space Odyssey is correct. Question number eight. Published in 1895, who wrote The Time Machine? That would be H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells is correct. Question number nine. Which 1932 Aldous Huxley novel was adapted for television in 2020? Uh, that would be... Um, oh, it's the... Uh, Oh, it's the uh, Utopia one. Um, Brave New World. Brave New World is correct. And your final question, which 1987 film features Arnold Schwarz featuring Arnold Schwarzenegger was based on the 1982 novel of the same name written by Stephen King? Ooh, uh, Running Man. Running Man is correct for nine out of ten questions. Correct. And probably, I think, a record so far in the the entire tournament that is outstanding well done thank you aisha not <laughs> i remember listening to some of the other ones and they only got like four points total that, like, that... i want to be against those people what <laughs> <laughs> all right starting anyway. with your questions when oh ref when referring to computer memory what does the acronym ram stand for Random access memory. Random access memory is correct. Question number two. Michael Sarah's character in the show Arrested Development shares the name with which pop legend? With which pop legend? Correct. Uh, 
I never watched Arrested Development. Oh, I have really? no idea. It's such a good show. No, never. Um, I don't know. Billy Idol? His <laughs> name was actually George Michael. George Michael. Oh, damn it. So, All right. Anyway. Question number three. In movies, mm -hmm. a clue or piece of information which is intended to be misleading is known as what? A red herring. Red herring is correct. Is that the gimme? No. The, the, oh, no. The next one is your gimme. Oh, shit. Okay, here we go. Sappho was an archaic Greek poet from which Greek island? Not an archaic Greek poet, thank you very much, but she's from the Isle of Lesbos. That is correct. If she wasn't a Greek poet, what was she? No, she wasn't an archaic Greek poet. <laughs> okay. She was, she, was, she was a Greek poet, but she was one of the greatest poets mm -hmm. in, uh, in Greece, actually. Okay, and this one is uh, Pat's Gimme. Manga is a type of comic from what country? Japan. Japan is correct. That was a gimme. <laughs> uh, apparently my counting is completely off. I, I almost gave you six points for that one. Three. I only had five points. Right? No, you're at four currently. Four out of five questions four? correct. Oh, four out of five. Okay. Yeah. So question number six, what former planet was demoted to a dwarf planet in 2006? Uh, Pluto. Pluto is correct. For five out of six questions, going into the, your specialist subject. So you've so far ah. missed one as did pat not bad okay, so far let's see how this goes. all right moving on to buffy mm -hmm. what was willow wearing the first time oz saw her uh the first time that oz saw her it was an eskimo outfit eskimo costume uh, is correct yeah or anyway i should say but it was called eskimo in yeah the show. it's 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 also the where the place i got the question from also called it an eskimo costume but you're right, correct. It should be correctly referred to as an Inuit outfit. Yes. Uh, which episode, in which episode, did Tara and Willow first hold hands? First hold hands? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in, technically it's in Hush, but they weren't really holding hands because they were, they put their palms together in order to do magic. So if that counts, then it should be Hush. It does count, uh, and it is indeed okay. Hush. Perfect. Once again, my number entering is going haywire. Um, question number nine. What were Tara's last words? Your shirt. That is correct. Aisha, going into the final question, so far tied point for point with Pat, moving into the final question. Oh, no. Okay. How did Buffy destroy the demon Gaknar? Gaknar. Gaknar was uh, the tiny little fear demon which he, which she stepped on. She squished him with her sneaker. Nine out of nine <laughs> points going into a tie. So far, it's too easy. So far, Apparently. every every quarterfinal battle has ended in a tie. Oh wow! <laughs> this is this is insane. This is unprecedented. Now I'm going to have to go into tiebreaker questions, and uh, for your tiebreakers. I'm going to do it slightly differently. Uh, I'm, I've got additional questions for each of you, mm -hmm. um, which I'm going to ask you one after the other, and we're going to do it um, sudden death so? style. Yeah. Okay. Hold on, let me see if I can find the questions I entered for Pat. Oh my God, did I not put down extra questions for you? <laughs> Yet. Want me to look some up for you? Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be helpful? <laughs> You're so helpful, Pat. I mean, really. 
<laughs> Pat, here, here we go. Uh, written in 1818. Uh, so the first sci-fi novel was written in 1818. Do you know who wrote it? Uh, well, that would be Mary Shelley with Frankenstein. That is correct. It is Mary Shelley with the book Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. uh, Aisha, your yes. uh, your specialist question. Why, why have I lost your specialist subject questions? Uh, okay. Um, what does Cordelia's vanity license plate read? Uh, Queen C. Queen C is correct. This is uh, this is bad. This is very bad. <laughs> this is very bad. Um, the 70s counts as classic, doesn't it? Yeah, there were certainly classic authors still writing in the 70s. I mean, if it's if you're thinking golden age sci-fi, mm -hmm. then probably the end is like, what, Philip K. Dick, maybe? Hanlon? What would you count the end of golden age sci-fi? Probably Heinlein. Because Heinlein is already pushing up against the late 60s, right? Oh, he, he was writing into the early 80s. Was he, when was Have Space Suit Will Travel? That's one of his okay. earlier books. A great book, by the way. I love that book. Yeah. It's not as good as um, uh, Starship Troopers. Ranger and no. Starship Troopers? Yeah, Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers is, is, is his, his best book ever written. And, and my favorite book of all time. I don't know, I'd say his most influential was Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, absolutely. Probably. That's his most influential, but I like I like Stranger in a Strange Land, but I, I think my favorite is still Have Space Suit with Travel. The Starship Troopers was really good. Mm -hmm. This isn't even classic, but uh, there's a there's a new show on Amazon Prime that's based on a classic, well, semi-classic, or newer classic sci-fi novel. Has anybody seen it? I've been watching it recently. It's pretty cool. What's it called? Well, I, I'm trying to see if, if uh, Pat would know anything about it. It's based on a William Gibson novel. Are you talking about The Peripheral? Yeah. Is that... Uh, it's on is Prime. That one of his is that one of his classic novels, though? No, it's one of his more his newer ones, I think. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but still. Yeah. I always think of William Gibson also as... He's not technically classic sci-fi, no, right? No, because he, he's... He's too late. He's more or less the founder of cyberpunk. Yeah. Yeah. When was, yeah, when was Snow Crash? Uh, Snow Crash would have been the late 80s, I think. Yeah? Maybe the early 90s. I guess it would have to be post-computer age, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 85, 86, maybe, is when uh, Neuromancer came out. That was his first book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, him re talking about, uh, we went to see Blade Runner. And he's um. totally disheartened because it was his universe. He's like, oh, no, somebody else is telling my story. <laughs> Hilarious. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Okay, I've got one for you. Anyway, okay, great. I don't know if this is really considered sci-fi, though. <clears throat> okay, which satirical sci-fi novel is toned by an unreliable narrator called Billy Pilgrim who tells his story in non-linear flashbacks or possibly time travel? I'm really not too sure. Uh, oh, is that a based off of a Heinlein, or is that from a Heinlein story? Probably getting no, I'm getting that confused. Um, oh, just for the sake of putting someone up there, I'm going to say the stainless steel rat. The correct answer, or the answer I have, 
is called Slaughterhouse Five. Okay. Or The Children's Crusade, a 1969 semi autobiographical science fiction infused anti war novel by Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah. Uh, is oh, Vonnegut, Vonnegut considered. Is, is he considered oh. sci fi, though? I mean, he's, he's, he's always, more he's existentialist. He's considered to be a sci fi author, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then I guess the question stands. The, the question is valid because Slaughterhouse Five is considered a, a sci fi. It one. is considered sci fi, but Vonnegut generally is. I mean, I mean, on the I mean he's not, way, right? Yeah, he's I mean, not hard sci fi by any means. No, right. Because yeah. he's like a literary great, right? It's always. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, few of the classic sci fi novelists are considered that way, even though many of them are well, really. When you think well, about they, were, it. they weren't very literary because they were terrible at characterization. They were, they were all about the concepts, not the characters. That's true. Depends on how you, how you define literary, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right, Aisha, with a chance to steal the win. All right, let's see how it goes. Your Buffy-related question. What decoration uh -huh. makes Buffy fear that she will not get along with her new college roommate, Kathy? The Celine Dion poster. It is indeed a poster of Celine Dion. Aisha... I think you just wound. I think you just won our quarterfinal battle, which means you're moving on to the semifinal uh, against the winner from from the uh, the fourth battle, which we've got coming up right after this. Also, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. All right. Um, so, welcome to our final battle of both tonight and for the quarterfinal matchups, where the winner from round one is. Uh, facing off against one of the hosts of 40k, uh, 40K radio one of the hosts of the Adam basin podcast um so today we've got joe jess who is uh one of my close friends that i met that i met on a geek nation tours and we've gone on several tours together and just become best friends ever since um and he's going to be winner from round one and he's going to be battling against one of my co-hosts from the out of the basement network paul hello and why don't we get right on with the the questions. Paul, I'm going to start with you first. Okay. Are you ready? And uh, that's debatable, but we'll, we'll see. And uh, as a reminder, we're doing six questions that are just generic geek questions from a variety of subjects. And then the last four questions are going to be from your specialist subject, and your specialist subject is the Star Wars universe. Well, here's hoping. All right, let's begin. Uh, question number one. When talking about computer memory, what does the acronym ROM stand for? R-O-M. I have no idea, to be honest with you. This is not a question I thought we were, that was going to be tricky. Okay. For me? Yeah. I, I don't know that kind of stuff, to be honest with you. I'm right there with you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the correct answer is read-only memory. Question... How do you say that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number two. Uh, Steve Urkel from Family Matters made a guest appearance in what sitcom? Another tricky one for Paul because he's just a little bit younger than Joe, you and I are. Uh, so he may not even know what Family Matters is. So this, uh, this could be. I saw Family Matters, but I don't know what else he was ever in. Okay. Because uh, I, I wasn't a big TV guy when I was young, so. I feel your pain. Yeah. I got nothing. I can't. I can't even hazard a guess because I was never watched sitcoms. <laughs> the so. correct answer is Full House. Really? Yeah. Okay. Question number three: uh, The catchphrase "I'd buy that for a dollar" is from what 1987 action movie? 
if 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 you need a little bit of a hint, it was set in Detroit, Michigan, in the near future. In the near future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got to keep in mind that came out th- when I was three. I understand. <laughs> but this this is one of my favorite movies, and here's a bit, just just to help you a bit more. It's a movie that we did that we covered in review of the clones. Now, this should be a dead giveaway, considering I, we watched the movie together. Was, was I there for that? Because I have I wasn't uh, there for a lot of the review of the clones stuff. Okay, that it's possible you may have missed that one. Yeah, uh, there's so many movies that it could be from, as far as I'm concerned. From this, from '87. Mm-hmm. No, I can't. I can't think of one offhand. I'm sure y'all know it as soon as you tell me, though. I, I think you will. The correct answer <laughs> is RoboCop. Now, no, see, I wouldn't have got it. <laughs> I never liked the RoboCop films. Oh, see, if you didn't, if you didn't get that one, the next one's going to be very, very difficult. Okay. Uh, <laughs> seriously up up to this point uh at least with my um knowledge background this has been a very very easy set of questions but obviously you have a different experience than i do so um the things you know and remember might be a little different so question number four marxist revolutionary che Guevara was born in which country what say that say it one more time marxist revolutionary che Guevara was born in what country this is the history che, section. Che Guevara. Mm-hmm. That, uh, he's he's popular on a lot of um, uh, communist style posters and uh, people who are fighting against uh, corporate corporations and the man. You'll see you'll see his man. you'll see his face a lot in uh, in posters or on t-shirts. Oh. I might as well just throw it out there and say. Russia. <laughs> now, I, I understand why you would go that way, seeing as he, he has a Marxist revolution. It, it's not. He's actually well known for being part of the um, the Cuban overthrow of the government and the rise of communism in Cuba. But he but he's actually from Argentina. So he was born in Argentina. He came over to Cuba as a revolutionary and joined with Fidel Castro's insurrection against the, 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 the yeah. government there. Yeah, okay. Okay, question more. Question number five. <laughs> what? See, you better kill it in the Star Wars questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. We'll see. Qu- question number five. What musical instrument did Sherlock Holmes play? Violin. The violin yeah. is correct for your first point of the night. Yay, you are on the board. <laughs> I don't feel completely useless. <laughs> All right, question number six. And the last question in the generalist round. Made up of primarily young men, adult fans of the animated TV show My Little Pony are known as what? I know Joe knows this because we've had this discussion. I know it. Bronies. Bronies is correct. Right. I shouldn't know that, but I do. (laughs) Yes. So two out of six in the generalist questions, moving on into your specialist subject, Star Wars. Question number seven. What space creatures have suction cup mouths and two eyes on stalks? Uh, Rodians are humanoids, not space creatures. This is specifically a space-dwelling creature. Oh. Not a humanoid. Where are you getting these questions from, first of all? Uh, is it just, like, everything? Uh, yeah, this this question... I, the, these creatures have shown up in a variety of media. Oh, boy. 
so it's not just the original trilogy, which is... Uh, they're, de they're definitely in the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. More specifically, they're in the second movie. Mm -hmm. Stop, stop doing that! Describe <laughs> <laughs> them one more time, please. They have suction cup mouths and two eyes on stalks. I totally see why you went Rodian. That that totally makes sense, but th those are humanoids. Oh, no, uh, no. I'll go with Minoc. Minoc is correct. It's the only thing I could. I'm like, they had eye stalks. They, like I knew. Okay. Okay. Question right. number eight. What did Luke believe his father's occupation occupation to be during the Clone Wars? Uh, he was a pilot on a space freighter, wasn't he? He was actually a navigator on a space freighter. Uh, close. Very close. Uh, question number nine. What Imperial officials had jurisdiction over distinct territorial areas? The Moffs. Moffs is correct. And the final question. What rank was the Imperial officer in charge of firing the second Death Star's prime weapon? You told me you were going to play a stupid question like that. I remember that. Um... And this is actually a rank that is said on screen, so it's not from any of the... Yeah. Um, other materials. If you don't get it, I'll tell you the full quote. Uh, I, I remember the Emperor saying it. Mm -hmm. Commander, I believe it was? Commander is correct. Commander, you may fire when ready. So, for a grand total of 5 out of 10, 50%, uh, how do you feel? Um, better. Not great, because... <laughs> I didn't. Ex I expected Star Wars stuff. I didn't realize there was going to be ra general random questions about stuff that, from when I was like three. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, wait, wait till you see Pat's questions. Uh, Pat Ramsohoy, his because he chose classic sci-fi as his uh, special subject. They're going back to like the sixties and fifties. Yeah, but he'll probably do great. <laughs> he might. He might. We'll we'll see. <laughs> he loves that stuff. He does. All right, Joe, with five okay. points on the board, are you ready for your questions? Let's let's get this started. All right. So, question number one: In computer science, what does GUI stand for? G U I. G U I. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to go with my last answer from the last episode, and that is, I would call my IT department <laughs> and uh, have them remote in and handle the problem. Final answer. The, the correct answer is graphical user interface. See, and it makes perfect sense when you say it. Of course. It, it makes perfect sense when you say GUI. Yeah. I yeah. probably would have got it if you said that, but you're like, GUI. I'm like, what? But, but, but I, I did also say GUI. You did. You did, my friend. All right. Don't worry. Okay. Question number two. What is the last name of the leading family of characters in the show, The Cosby Show? Cosby's? No, it's uh, the Cosby is the real life name of the main star of the show, but the actual characters were called the Huxtables. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Uh, question number three: What actor played the main character in the 1990 film Edward Scissorhands? Oh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is correct for your first point of the night. Why didn't you give me those questions? Oh, did you know the Huxtables? Also, a, you knew the I, Huxtables, oh, no, but I knew the, I knew the hunt for Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> All right, question number four: Which Apollo Eleven crew member did not walk on the moon? This is your history question. 
I can tell you the actor that portrayed him. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Actually, that's not true because you said Apollo 11, didn't you? Mm -hmm. That movie was oh. There was a third one. How about, um, I, I knew Neil. Last name Shepard. Uh, the correct answer was actually Michael Collins. All right, uh, question number five. Mac Gargan is the alter ego of what Spider-Man villain? This is your literature-ish question, even though it's about comic books. Literish? Literature. Uh, literature. And Mac's who? Mac Gargan. Is that the Sandman? It's actually the Scorpion. Uh, Sandman was Marco something. Okay. Uh, question number six and the final of your sp uh, regular questions. What is the name of the world's largest and most powerful particle accelerator? The one in Europe. It is the one in Europe. That's true. Do you know it's not? I can, I can see it. I'll pass. The correct answer is the Large Hadron Collider. Hadron. Yep. Why, why did I know that? <laughs> I was like, I'm like, that's the Hadron Collider, is it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that's what I said. I could see it, but. Yeah. All right. Moving on to your specialist questions. Your specialist subject is Dungeons and Dragons. So be subjective. Uh, yes. So, so I'm going to know absolutely nothing. All right. Awesome. In Dungeons and Dragons, the master rule set gives detailed explanation of both the anti-magic effects and the dispel magic spell which each act to cancel magic. What is the main important difference between the anti-magic effect and dispel magic? So the anti-magic effect suppresses the magic while it's in its field. And the dispel, you said dispel? Dispel magic, correct. Dispel magic actually stops it or ends it. Mm -hmm. Correct. Question number uh, eight. In Dungeons and Dragons, Strength, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma are characteristics. Which one is missing? Strength, dex. Hang on. Strength, don't, dexterity. Don't look at D and D Beyond. I'm not looking at D and D Beyond. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm I doing it on my fingers. So you can see. <laughs> Strength, dexterity, constitution, charisma, intelligence, and wisdom. Sorry. So what, you're saying? Yeah. Which one was missing? What, what ones did you say? I said strength, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. Constitution. Constitution is correct. Yes. Question. I thought you were going to reach for homeliness, which is no longer <laughs> has been used. True. Comeliness was first uh, introduced in the original Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and then quickly disappeared. Yes. All right. Uh, question number nine. What company published Dungeons and Dragons from the game's creation until it was purchased by Wizards of the Coast in 1997? TSR. TSR. Tactical Rules. Or, yeah, tactical, strategic rules. Correct. And last question, name the two co-founders of the original Dungeons & Dragons game. Gary Gygax and Dave Anderson. That's actually incorrect. It's Gary what? Gygax and Dave Arneson. Arneson. I'm sorry. So, right. Joe, I, I'm afraid I can only give you half a point for that. <laughs> it's probably still enough. <laughs> it, it actually isn't. That leaves you at 4.5 to Paul's 5. Really? Which means our, <laughs> the winner... <laughs> 
congratulations. Listen, it feels like a cop out. It's it's absolutely not. He's he's a very important member of the the role playing community to begin with. And and the thing is, uh, Gary Gygax almost tried to erase Dave Arneson from the the historical background of uh, of D and D. He wanted it really to be his own creation. So, um, do you have a tiebreaker? Because I feel like I should only get half points for that first Star Wars question. Oh. I said, yeah, and then technically you was my knock and gave me a second shot at it. Okay, that's a good point. Sure. Why don't we do a, a tiebreaker? We'll say we're both at four points and we'll let, let's go to a tiebreaker question. The tiebreaker questions I'm choosing from someone else's special subject. Last time it was Star Trek because Andy wasn't able to take part in our, our battles and I had all the questions ready for him. Congratulations, uh, Paul. You've got this. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Okay, here's my here's my tiebreaker question, uh, and whichever one of you comes up with the correct answer first will be the winner. If not, if none of you gets it, I, I, I guess we'll just keep going until we find a winner. <laughs> until we find a question we know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the character Dax, how many authorized hosts were in, in existence, including Ezri, the final host? Six. Okay, uh, that's Joe's answer. Um, Paul, please don't uh, say six. <laughs> I won't say six because I actually have no idea, but I'll say seven. The correct answer was actually nine. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> At least I remembered which character Dax was. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to switch to a different specialist subject because I think I used all of the other questions for uh, Terry's <laughs> battle uh, with um, with Dwayne, which was uh, the the on last uh, the last show, the the previous season. Um, okay, we're going to go to TV shows. <clears throat> the actors Jennifer Garner, Gardner, Gar and Jennifer Garner and Bradley Cooper got their big breaks in which TV show? This one was a action adventure show, not a sitcom. I see. I actually remember that, but I cannot remember what the title of the show is. Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Gardner were in what? Action adventure sitcom? Nope, TV show. It was an action adventure show. show, not a sitcom. Yeah. Well, I, action adventure show. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, pass. This is not going well. The correct answer was Paul. Any guesses? Uh, if if it helps, she played a FBI agent. Yeah, I know. I cannot remember what it's called though. Uh, the correct know. answer was Alias. Damn it, that was what I was going to say. But I'm like, no, that sounds like a common one that's on right now. Yeah, <laughs> Alias has been over for 15, 20 years, I think. Yeah, but for some reason, I keep thinking it's it's on it's it's on right now, but that's not what it, that the one I'm thinking about was. Okay, I have two yeah, more before we start running out of questions. Uh, <laughs> what current TV show is the longest-running live-action primetime show ever? Modern Family. Incorrect. Oh, By a factor of at least three. Right. The correct answer is Law and Order SVU. Ugh, figures would be. Hey, why don't you guess a number between one and fifty, and whoever gets the clue. <laughs> All right. I have I have one more question before we resort to some sort of crazy tactics, uh, <laughs> and hopefully this is something everyone will know. I I actually I don't know if it, it is. It really depends on whether you like uh, cartoons or not. Who was Bart Simpson's classroom teacher? I know Matt would know. Probably. Huh. Mrs. Krabappel. Mm-hmm. 
Mrs. Kerbopel is correct. Paul, congratulations. You're the winner. Congratulations, Paul. Put it it out of its misery. (laughs) (laughs) Something that we could have done um, Uh, 15 minutes ago. (laughs) And we just (laughs) gone with the initial uh, original uh, result. But no problem. We went through a tiebreaker. We've got a tiebreaker. Yeah, but I would have felt like it was a combat. Well, hold on. We've we've done a tiebreaker now for every quarterfinal match. So it totally makes sense that we would have one. That's good. That's good. All right. So, Paul, moving on to the, the semifinal battle uh, with the uh, winner from the from the third um, quarterfinal battle, which is also on, which you just heard on this week's episode, um, or this month's episode, whatever this episode, and mm-hmm. we'll we'll catch you in the semifinal. Oh boy, it'll be another right. Joe. Thank you. Another for winner like this. <laughs> Joe, thank you for joining us for a an excellent run up to the the, the quarterfinals, and uh, we'll hopefully catch you in next year's battle. All right, I'll catch you all. All right, take care. Thank you. I know this episode has gone on longer than we're normally used to. However, we do still have the first two of I, I believe nine or ten interviews that Dwayne did at the Ottawa Comic Con in the month of September. So we're going to include those in this recording, and then the additional interviews will come on in subsequent episodes just to reduce the length of time uh but we're already looking at three and a half hours and and really didn't want to push it past four uh so look look for additional interviews in upcoming episodes This is Dwayne McKinnon with the Out of the Basement podcast, and I am sitting at Ottawa Comic Con 2022 with Marco Rudy, uh, writer, artist, inker, you name it. Uh, originally from Mozambique, currently from Quebec, and he's very kindly offered to sit down with me for a few minutes and talk about his work. So, uh, Marco, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Well, so I see that you've gotten a fair amount of work with uh, what they call the big two, Marvel and DC, over the past number of years. Uh, I see Ultimates on the table, uh, Hawkeye, uh, a number of others. Uh, How have you enjoyed playing in that sandbox, like with, like, the big, the big name toys, so to speak? It's, uh, it was a... Every now and then I still pinch myself that I got the opportunity to do that because coming from, from Mozambique, I never thought that I would work in comics, much less work in these titles. So just coming to the understanding that, hey, I worked on Spider-Man, I worked with Superman, uh, still a bit surreal all those years after. Uh, it was great. I would say that once you get into the nitty-gritty of the stuff, your um, fascination with uh, the uh, just the ins and outs of the industry with the process can get a little dimmed because uh-huh. you're in the process right now rather than uh, oh whomever is going to come up with a new issue I'm excited to see what's what's coming out so yeah. I would say that dims a little bit yeah. but uh, yeah. being then replaced by the fact that you're working on it yeah I'm, so. I'm, I'm reminded a bit of a friend of mine uh, she did uh, film studies yes. in university, and her first class 
Film Theory 101, the professor said, okay, if you ever want to enjoy a movie again, walk out now. Yeah. Because once I teach you this, exactly, you'll only ever be able to see the flaws in the process. No, I'll, I'll, uh, just just one idea, one example. Uh, as you mentioned, I wrote and penciled, I wrote and uh, painted my own graphic novel, and uh, the process of production was never something that I was aware of. Uh, the size yeah. of production of the book that for me it was just like, yeah, you just deliver your stuff to editorial, they're going to take care of that, and. Um, uh, so, send, so the self-publishing oh, side yeah, of it yeah, was yeah, yeah. a real eye-opener. Sending, sending the, discussing the stuff with the printer, uh, having conversations with an editor, letter, uh, the shipping, all the, and even think minor things such as awards, which I thought, hey man, when you put your book out there, it's automatically eligible for awards. No, 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 you have to apply to every single one. And there's a specific time to do things. And I had no idea about, about that. So I would say that now that I know way more, it is terrifying. <laughs> I can imagine. Yes. I, 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 I can imagine. Still um, fun, but very, very scary. Yeah, I've never actually gone the self-employed route. Yes. So, yeah, I can only imagine. So, your graphic novel, yes. RDW. Yes. Uh, when did it actually come out? The book was a Kickstarter effort that I did the, run the campaign in 2020, November 2020. Okay. The book came out in November 2021. Uh, well, it was ready to be shipped for the people around then. And I think I put it, put it up online for, for purchases, or available for purchase in, in December, in okay. 2021. So. You've kickstarted successfully yes. your graphic novel in the middle of the pandemic. Basically. Pretty much, yes, yes, yes. And, uh, November 2020. So I've I've done a lot of reading over the past number of months on the difficulties that the pandemic has put on the industry, uh, yes. shortages, shipping problems, everything. Has it, has it been hard? Has it had uh, much of a had well, effect I'll, on you? One example was the fact that a um, we had calculated an estimative, two estimatives for shipping and for um, printing costs based on the pricing available at the time in 2020. When it finally times it, it came time to print the book in 2021, paper had changed price. Uh, so all the pr printing production hiked up the price. The same went for shipping. All, all our estimative was off because there was more shipping costs involved due to the pandemic. So, and the fact that there were serious delays on shipping because of the pandemic as well. So, uh, we definitely, I definitely got affected by it with, on, the on the production and distribution of the book. Yeah. Uh, so, I gotta ask, uh, Kickstarter. Yes. Um, it seems to be more and more a platform that uh, independents are using to self-publish, to essentially raise the funds to ha handle the cost of producing the work yes. in advance. How did you find your experience with the platform? Um, it was pretty easy. Um, there are, I mean, honestly, I had a lot of guidance 
uh, like my Gisela Gasse is right over there. She helped me out. <laughs> she guided me on to the nitty gritty of doing crowdfunding. Yeah, I, but, haven't, I haven't approached her yet, but I am yeah. hoping to talk with her as well today. But the uh, the, um, the 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 way the platform works, it is self-explanatory. It, it is it is helpful and self-explanatory. So it's not it's not very complicated. It's just that. There is targets that you need to get to, and you need to use the tools afforded to you either by Kickstarter and side and uh, things on the side, or you have to find yourself a way to promoting that. The promotion, putting it out there, is the hardest part. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. and getting it because I mean you can get uh, an interesting boost because new campaign at the beginning of the of the show, at the beginning of the campaign, you get a lot of boost. But then it wanes off, and you still need people to. Uh, if your book is not funded on like the first day or the first week, you still need yeah. four more weeks of keeping people's attention. Hey, by the way, this is going. So there are alternatives uh, around Kickstarter that help you out. Like, what was the name of it? It was a kit something. I forget now. Backer kit. Sorry, that's more. Backer kit. Exactly. Yeah. It's part of Kickstarter as well. Yeah. But that, it's part of your logistics with the clients. With the uh, the uh, pledgers, yeah. But st stuff like backer kids, stuff like uh, I can't remember now. Then they have like uh, specific mnemonicers, uh -huh. but they help you with promoting the book, uh, Facebook, whatever. So that helped out. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah. So you've seen the industry kind of from the two extremes yeah. you've done work for the big two where you have your assignment and you you try to pass in your stuff for a monthly basis you've done a graphic novel where almost every aspect of production was under your hands yeah and that do you have a preference or well uh the the boring response is yes I do in it in which is go your own route yeah. but I would I would tell you that that uh, working with the big two or working with another set of it uh, with another team in which editorial takes care of things for you makes your life way easier I can imagine so the fact that I you just imagine. have to sit down and draw or sit down and write whatever that's yeah. much easier than sit down and do everything I, I can imagine but still I prefer the personal response of the fact that this is all me and the fact that earlier there was there was a, a guy that came by the table and he was just telling me somebody that i never talked to with before just telling me how much i liked the, the book and whatnot that's an achievement for me that's the yeah. best thing ever so Absolutely. yes Absolutely. The, Absolutely. The, it Hardly any sensation, uh, any sensation compares to it. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm sure the folks who are listening to this will be will be curious, and I'm I'm certainly quite curious. Um, breaking into the industry is a fairly nebulous concept. Uh, yeah. You mentioned earlier that growing up, you never imagined yeah. that you'd be working in this field yeah. with those companies on those properties, and that. Uh, could you tell us, like, how did you actually work your way in? Uh, I'm not the best example because, I mean, in a way I might be because one of the things that I normally tell people is attend conventions, 
because at conventions there are creators, but every now and then there are editors as well, and they're looking at portfolios. They're uh -huh. looking at people, they're looking for ideas, and they are looking for the next talent. So, uh, I attended uh, a show in Brazil, uh, back when I lived there, that through uh, a connection that a friend of mine had, he was he had an agent there. Yeah. An agent representing uh, other artists was there, and there was also a DC Comics editor at the time there. So, for, fortunately, I showed them my portfolio, we talked about it, I actually lied about how long I took to, to do a page. But uh, the portfolio was decent enough that eventually I got a, an in-step gig. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I was asked yeah. to do like a very short story. You mentioned you, uh, you changed the timing, did you say oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. faster than you learned? Yes, yes. The, 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 um, the editor looks at me and, and he asks me, so Marco, how long did you take to do your pages? And I looked at uh, my friend, it's like, oh, it was like, it was like a day a page, wasn't it? And then the editor just looked at me. <laughs> and then he continued, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. <laughs> it, was, it was a week per page. <laughs> and it was just pencils at the time, so I was not fast at all. The editor saw through me immediately, but they did give me a bone in which uh, sometime later, they're like, all right, we need you to draw uh, this sequence of the Green Lantern in this time frame. Can you do it? I drew and ink it, inked it before the time frame. So okay. I, I immediately got so, the gig then. So when given your first actual deadline, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you made it with time to spare. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was immediately throw, thrown to the bo through the wolves because my first gig was Final Crisis and uh, filling in for another artist that was late. Okay. So there was no leeway. It was like go 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 go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that that is kind of being thrown in the deep end, isn't oh, yeah. it? I mean, yeah, like yeah. Final Crisis was a big DC event from a few much, years ago. Pretty much. It was my first and, DC gig. And that was your first DC gig. Yep. Huh? Uh, so what was your first novel gig? Um, very very different. And uh, ironically, I got that gig at, uh, at a karaoke. <laughs> I, I was at a hey, karaoke and there was an editor there. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's like any other yeah. job, really. It's all about the networking. Exactly, exactly. So you at karaoke, a mobile editor was there. Yeah. What did they give you? I just finished. I had just finished uh, my song, whatever, and he goes like, "Hey, you're you're the you're the artist for something." Yes, I'm the artist for something. Uh, I am guy from Marvel. Do you want to, you ever consider working for Marvel? I'm like, I'm no longer exclusive, so I'm open. Like, would you want to do? Like, I may, I may have something for me, for you. So he then emails me asking me, "How oh, would you like to work on Spider-Man?" Like, oh, yeah. So I did a mini series for Spider-Man. It was my very, actually, my first gig was an Avengers book. It was just four pages in an Avengers book, okay. and then it was the Spider-Man mini series. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So not smaller stuff. It was like straight up, no, I mean, go like, to the walls. I'm, I'm sure there are artists who spend their whole career. Wanting to yep. get like a Spider-Man limited series, true, true, and true. so now that's fantastic. Yep, that's yep. Fantastic. I, I, I am incredibly fortunate. Yep. So, but bearing in mind that both these situations happened because I was at a convention. Yep. Both of them. It's not to say that is it, it is still like that because I would say nowadays you use the internet a lot. 
to show I, your stuff. And there's imagine. a lot. There's a lot of editorial. Well, you, that is on Twitter hunting. You mentioned uh, Giselle Lacasse, who's exactly. actually right across the hall yeah. from us as we're talking. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen all of her stuff. Yep. Online on the net. Exactly. So. Yep. You know. Um, so yeah. No. So you mentioned uh, originally from Mozambique. Yep. Uh, lived in Brazil yep. at least for a time. Yeah, ten years. Uh, moved to Canada, to Toronto, yep. then to Montreal, yep. then to your to the current forest. location <laughs> to the forest. In, in small town, yeah, yeah. rural Quebec. Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, why Canada? So why come to Canada? Um, uh, you will laugh at this. Uh, initially, I moved to Toronto because I saw. It, the, on DeviantArt, I saw a guy, that uh, an artist that I was a fan of, and he would always participate in this thing called Drink and Draw, which a bunch of artists would get together and drink and draw. Okay, I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, yeah. and st it still happens. Uh, it's actually a pretty big thing in the, in the U.S. And uh, I was always very envious of that. Like, I want to participate in that. So my active, uh, my initial... My initial interest in coming to Canada was twofold. My first uh, book was an image book that I did way back when. And the guy that I'd collaborated was Canadian. He was from Toronto. Okay. And he suggested if you want to move away from Brazil, you still want to, you don't want to, if you don't, you don't want to go to the States, you may want to come to Canada, uh, which he, he basically sold it as it's the States, but the States, but not crazy. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, you know what? Having moved in, it was kind of, yeah, it was the States, but not crazy. Okay. So that's how I moved to, that's how then I moved to Toronto. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. And we were talking a little bit before I actually hit record yes. about the process and that uh, now with your artwork, the only thing you actually... Oh, sorry. Oh, you want one of them? Oh. I'll give you, I'll give you the change. And we're back after a brief pause, simply because Marco got to make a sale of his graphic novel. Thank you. And uh, no better reason to pause an interview, in my opinion. So yeah, so just before the pause, um, we were talking, we had been talking about process yeah. before I hit record, and that currently you only trust your artwork to FedEx if you're actually Selling. sending someone a commission. Yeah, yeah, basically, or yeah. Selling piece of yeah, yeah. I actually haven't used FedEx in a bit because it is quite expensive, and I can use uh, Canada Post, so it's safe. So yeah. far, I have not had any problems whatsoever. Yeah, say what, say what you will. Yeah. Uh, Canada Post generally just works. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much. So yeah. So you're working digitally. Traditionally. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, you mentioned you like working traditionally. Yeah, I worked, my work is all traditional. So, it's all. Uh, do you scan? Yes, I scan. Then, yeah, and yeah. then send it out. Okay. Yes. So, you must have a pretty darn good scanner. <laughs> very, very darn good scanner that was an arm and a leg to get, but it's worth it. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I'm looking at your original art pages. Thank you. What is the size? 11 by 17. 11 by 17. Yes, it's so, a standard yeah. size in the industry. So, you know, but that is not the standard size of, of your scanner. office jet scanner yeah. that you pick up from HP. Yeah, no. So The scanner, scanner size is, I think it's 18 by 20. Uh-oh. Uh, 
12 by 18. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, do. I don't have that much money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, yeah. But, anyways, uh, I'm coming up basically blank. Uh, we've covered everything that I hope to and more. Um, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having um, me. Do you want to give your social media so that our listeners can find you? I am very easy to find him. It's just Marco Rudy, R-U-D-Y. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, very easy. And on, on any of those, there's a link to my webpage where you can find all the information about RDW, my graphic novel that I wrote, and uh, commissions and all that stuff. Perfect, perfect. So, again, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you're listening to the Out Basement Podcast coverage from Ottawa Comic Con 2022. Talk to you later. circles for being the originator of the whole women in refrigerators discussion way back when on uh, the treatment of female characters within uh, the industry and everything. Uh, welcome. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's one of my favorite subjects, comics. Well, yeah, tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> I'll talk for hours. Uh, usually have to watch myself so, <laughs> so yeah so welcome to Ottawa uh, have you been up here before yeah, I've or? been to lots of cities in Canada but this is my first time to Ottawa and it's lovely from what I've been able to see so far and the people are great mm. okay. yeah. well that's that's always good to know um, <laughs> I'm, I'm originally from Nova Scotia myself oh you are Okay. I've been in Ottawa for like 25 years now, so uh, good to hear, good to hear. So, like just uh, looking back, um, I think I first encountered work on Birds of Prey through DC Comics. Okay. And, uh, and that team, uh, Oracle, Huntress, Black Canary, such a such a fun book and just I understand that uh, from reading interview other interviews and that that it's fairly close to you. Uh, as I recall, you got to go see the premiere of the movie. That, uh, um, no, I didn't get to, see, get to go see the premiere, unfortunately. But um, I did get to see some some. Uh, spent a day when they were filming, so I got to see some of it filmed, which was really interesting to me, and um, 
it must, it must be quite the process. Like, it is. And I was invited to the premiere. I just couldn't go at the time. I live kind of out in the country, and it just wasn't possible. Um, but, yeah, watching them film and watching how hard those actresses were working was incredible. And, yeah, I was right on set. It was, it was a highlight for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there is that. Um, skipping over to Marvel for a moment, uh, you're well known for your run on Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, I was writing Deadpool before, right before um, taking on the Birds of Prey book. Yeah. Is humor something that you particularly enjoy injecting into your work? Because yes. I've certainly noticed that. Yes. There's always humor there, even if it's dark humor or if it's uncomfortable humor. I like writing things that make you feel like you're on a bit of a roller coaster. And if you, if everything is playing at one emotion through the whole thing, then it starts to lose its impact. So I really like injecting humor in areas where you might just need to take a little breather. Uh, I also like things that are straight up humor, you know, but uh, I like experimenting with different types, whether it's just whimsical or very black or, um, you know, gags. I've been doing a couple times, been writing gags for riff tracks, which is really fun. And, uh, you know, as well as putting humor in my own work. I seem to recall, and hopefully my memory isn't being as faulty as it was a little bit earlier, uh, I believe you cited Scott Shaw as an influence. Yeah, Scott Shaw is, is, you know, an amazingly talented artist, and he was working for the Simpsons comics at the time. Uh-huh. And I met him online, and he uh, told me that they were looking for writers who were funny and that I should try. And I had my hair salon at the time still, and uh-huh. I didn't think of myself as a writer, even though it was a dream to be yeah. a writer. Um, and I said, oh, no, I'm a hairdresser. I'm not, you know, I'm not a writer. And he's like, well... Eventually, he said, well, I gave them your phone number, so is it okay if they call you? And I was just in such shock, I didn't even know what to do or say, and I was terrified. And then I thought, as a huge fan of The Simpsons and and comics and everything, I thought, when in my life is someone ever going to want to talk to me about this? Talk, talk about uh, somebody really going to bat. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah, if it wasn't for him, like, just insisting, I probably wouldn't have taken that leap. I would have just been fine writing my humor column online and doing hair during the day, and it would have been great. I have to admit, I don't know as much of his work as I probably should, but Captain Carrot left <laughs> a huge... Yeah, me too. I love Captain Kirk. The, the stories were so entertaining and so funny, but so well put together at everything. Yeah, I agree. And, He's uh, super talent. Yeah. To this day, I'm still amazed that DC signed off on it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, funny, funny animal book for superheroes. <laughs> Work. Yes. I, mean, good. Like, <laughs> I love even, that stuff. They even had Superman guest starring in the first episode. <laughs> so yes. So what are you currently working on? Like, um, what's, right what's now, in the pipeline? <laughs> right now I'm doing five issues of the variants for um, Marvel when three of the issues are out, which stars Jessica Jones and uh, 
few different versions of her, okay. which I'm having a yeah. huge blast writing. And Phil Noto, the amazing Phil Noto, is the artist on it. And it looks incredible. So whoever has a chance to get their hands on that book should do it just for Phil's art. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of seeing it on other projects. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and then I'm working with the... Uh, Game, uh, Hit Point Press. It's based out of Ottawa here in their uh, Humblewood projects. I'm doing tie-in comics for several of their different things that they're publishing. Okay. And then I'm working a little bit with um, how to say this without giving away too much. I'm working with characters that are in comics, but I'm not working on comics. Fair enough. And I can't really say more than that. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh, and, I just, and I just did the... Um, the narrative for Spicecape, which is a beautiful location in uh, New York City. Um, it's an interactive experience where you go into a museum and it's a Batman experience. So you go in and you get to help Oracle out with some things and help Batman and it's really fun and beautiful and cool and I wrote the comic that ties in with that too. Okay, that, that sounds amazing. It so, was an I'm, amazing I'm, thing. Yeah. So this would be the sort of thing where would it be linear or can people actually go kind of randomly to locations and the experience um, you, there is an app and so you can have the experience inside the app but there's a location in New York at the yeah. Spicecape building where you go in and you actually go I don't want to give too much of the story away but you have no, to go I, into it yeah. um, and then there's a things that happen on the app outside of the actual um, exhibit where you have little side missions and things that you need to do as well. Yeah. Um, I'd be remiss given your you know, fairly well-known uh, connection with the character of Barbara Gordon. Um, the whole HBO Max mess. Yeah, uh, it's just heartbreaking because when I found out that there was going to be a Batgirl movie, the little girl inside me just, you know, squeed immensely because I never thought, I never imagined that could happen, especially not in my lifetime. And to have it happen, and they were using Alicia Yo, which is a character I created in the book, and that was super exciting. Leslie Grace was making an amazing Batgirl. And I was so looking forward to that film, and it's really tough for me, especially when there's a, a female-led film that yeah, could have been really important to a lot of people, yeah, and now we, it's not coming still, out. We still haven't had very many of those. No. Not really. Exactly. You know, so. so it's heartbreaking, and I'm not involved in any of those decisions. No, I don't have any inside scoop, yeah. you know, other than no. what other people yeah. well, have. I, I was but, thinking more that you are a very high-profile fan yeah. of the character Definitely, having had a chance yeah. to write her mm -hmm. several, several times. Yeah, and I was really times. looking forward on a personal level of seeing the film, so, yeah, I'm, so I'm disappointed. So was I, to be yeah. honest. Um, corporate decisions at that level, I will admit, mystify me. Like, <laughs> the idea that they'd rather take a tax write-off than put a finished product out into the world and make some money that way. perplexing to me, but um, I just keep hoping that someday we'll get that really great Batgirl movie. Um, that would be good. Regardless. Uh, 
on the other side of the street, so to speak, uh, talking the big two and everything. I am curious. Uh, have you seen Miss Marvel on Disney Plus? Uh, of course, I've seen it, and I love it, and I really. I just think that is such a joy to watch. The, the lead actress makes an amazing Ms. Marvel. I like the tone of the show. I like that we're seeing some things that we haven't seen before, you know, Absolutely. and that's Absolutely. very interesting to me, and I just, I love it, and congratulations to everyone involved yeah. and um, making those decisions to keep that really great. Yeah. Uh, I've been saying on previous episodes of our podcast, uh, I've been taking advantage of Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I started reading events a little while back, and then after Secret Invasion, they went to a limelight direction, the whole Dark Rain thing. Right. So I've been reading everything I want to, month to month, in order. I've only gotten up to, like, January 2015. I'm several <laughs> years behind the times. But it's an interesting place to be in Marvel Unlimited because I'm reading Dan Slott's Spider-Verse stuff. Yeah, amazing. Where I'm eagerly awaiting the film next year. Uh, I was hoping it'd be out this year, but you know, delays happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading all the early Miss Marvel stuff right now. Um, and several other properties that due to the length of time it takes to produce things are becoming available right. in other media now. So, I watched Miss Marvel the day it came out for all, like, eight weeks, I think it was. Yeah, I did and, too. And, now, and I'm enjoying She-Hulk as well. I'm behind on She-Hulk. <laughs> I'm, like, two episodes behind. And that, but the first two episodes I thought were brilliant. Yeah. And that, I think it's really great. And you know, definitely seeing influences from, like, even the John Byrne with the fourth wall stuff. Mm -hmm. Dan Slott's run especially, I think, uh, kind of informed. Yeah, yeah. And everything. But, uh, but, yeah, I never expected Marvel to do, you know, a legal sitcom. Yeah, I know. And but, and it's working, in yeah. my opinion. I think it's great. Yeah, and I'm also quite interested because... Two Marvel shows in a row. The leads are Canadian. I have to admit, I'm somewhat proud of that. That's cool. <laughs> and that, so, no. Um, there is a school of thought out there that perhaps uh, comics-based entertainment is hitting the oversaturation point, that there's too much of it, and it's either getting watered down or it's drowning out other storytelling choices. Uh, what, would you, what would you say to that notion? Well, you know, as being a huge comic book fan and nerd, you know, it feels like there's not going to be too much for me. But everything is in the execution and how it's done. And that's why when we're talking about Ms. Marvel show and the She-Hulk show and coming up with things that are completely different, different takes, different tones, um, 
they have different stories to tell and different things to offer, I think it's really important so that we're not all, all, this, all the programs, films and television and the comics are not the same tone, the same characters, the same everything. And so I think comic books is such an amazing medium with so many brilliant creative minds in it that we can tell any kind of story we want to through these characters and just finding that right one that you know can reach in and grab people you know by their heart and keep them interested is the trick and you don't want to do things that we see over and over and over again otherwise you will feel like it's saturated true enough true enough like i always thought that if marvel wanted to go the sitcom route um Damage control. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah. late, the late Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah, uh, oh, I love Dwayne. Love Dwayne. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, because, I mean, like, just for the scene alone of the foreman calling into the office saying, yeah, one of my men just had an origin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? That, that sort of thing. Um, I, I do, it's one of the things I definitely love about the media, the medium, is that you can do literally anything. And when you're talking about comics in particular, you're not limited by uh, special effects budgets and things like that. You're just limited by the people who are creating its imagination. And that's very special. uh, I was listening to the CBC while I was on vacation last week, Mm -hmm. and there was a fellow talking about advertising, and specifically radio advertising. And he was saying that well, you're limited, but no, actually you're not, because if I want to do an ad spot where everybody's underwater, I don't have to film underwater. Right, yeah. I just make people believe that the ad spot is being done underwater. And while comics is visual, it has that same sort of freedom. Um, As long as your artist is talented enough, you can put whatever you want on the page. Yeah, definitely. It's just, you know, I have pages that the artists do coming into me daily that I'm just absolutely astounded by. It's just such a gift to have that in your email box and have this amazing, you know, I have huge monitors just so I can see the incredible work, you know. So you've been at this for quite a while. Do you still get that thrill when the new email pops up saying latest pages from Project X? Oh, yes. (laughs) I do. And I get the thrill when I open up the finished product, too, you know, and and see how it's all come together. I know how many people it took to make that happen. And it's a miracle that it all works and comes out like it does every time. So I, I never get tired of that. Anyways, um, this has been great. I thank you for taking the time. I don't want to take up any more. Uh, so uh, you've been listening to an interview with Gail Simone, Ottawa Comic Con 2022, and this is the Out of the Basement Podcast. Yeah, go read some comics. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Out of the Basement Podcast. We'd like to thank Radio Free Music for our intro and outro music. Both songs were done by an amazing artist named Silent Partner. The intro music is called Drop and Roll, and the outro music is called Grand Navy Plaza. And we'll have links to both those songs in our show notes. If you liked what you heard and wish to support the show, please consider becoming a backer on Patreon. We can be found at patreon.com OOTBpod. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.